from the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide. In Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. I'm Caroline Hyde, in for Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, we are live in Boise, Idaho. We're over at the Micron headquarters, my exclusive sit-down with the Micron CEO, Sanjay Mahotra, where we talk about all things chips, supply chain, and so much more. Plus, a look at how the global chip shortage is not only impacting Micron, but the real-world impacts it continues to have, and when it might finally ease. And President Biden is amping up Russia sanctions, citing an invasion in Ukraine is underway. We'll bring you the latest from Washington. We'll get to all of that in a moment. But first, we've got to get you a look at the markets because, well, once again, risk aversion amid geopolitical tensions. Ed Ludlow with the latest. Yeah, definitely a risk-off day with Ukraine, Russia top of mind. You look at the S&P 500, the main gauge of U.S. equities, off by 1%, down 10% from a January 3rd peak. So we're in correction territory now. NASDAQ 100 also down 1%, its lowest level since June. Fourth straight day of losses, the longest losing streak in a month. It kind of is adding up, Caroline. And of course, what was interesting, was it was a choppy session after President Biden added to the voices globally and added sanctions to those taken by the European Union union against Russia and Russian individuals. We saw stocks pair some of those losses, but eventually fall away to some significant degrees. You also see the US 10-year yield a little higher at 1.94%. And Bitcoin, you're seeing red on the screen now as we tick over into Wednesday session, but we're actually higher, snapping three days of losses, of course, over that long holiday weekend. One of the really big movers on the day tied to the Ukraine-Russia tensions, nickel. Come with me into my Bloomberg terminal. Look at this chart. The white line heading towards that $25,000 per ton. That's the London contract for nickel. And the supply, you can see the blue line coming down. Russia is one of the biggest exporters of nickel. So concerns are that sanctions could add to already stressed supply. Of course, nickel such an important component in EV batteries, which is, of course, why I'm loving to talk about it. Really big move you see there on Tuesday. Let's talk a little bit big picture here about what investors feel about this whole situation. Bank of America out with a note on Tuesday saying that tech stocks are in purgatory, Caroline. We have rising rates. We have guidance misses. But ultimately, the S&P 500 only has 0.1% sales exposure to Russia directly. We should be more worried about tech stocks and the outlook for that sector with the higher rates that are happening and also COVID-induced pain, some of the most sort of sought after stocks during the pandemic era now becoming unloved. So let's take this in stock. Yes, the situation's worrying, but investors really focus in the equity markets, at least, on that outlook for higher rates. Yeah, still all about the Fed. Ed Ludlow, we thank you so much. Going to be checking him out in a minute. But first and foremost, let's get to really the geopolitical story of the day. President Biden announcing that the United States was ordering pretty heavy financial sanctions against Russian banks, certain oligarchs, declaring that Moscow had flagrantly violated international law by invading Ukraine. Now, Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Horden joins us now with more. The perfect voice, a woman who understands Putin, Russia and indeed the White House. Tell us a little bit about the reaction to what are perhaps not the toughest of sanctions yet. 
Yeah, so on those sanctions, Caroline, that's correct. These aren't the toughest of sanctions and the scope that they can, that they can dig in and push against on Russia. This is what the president called tranche one, echoing the words as well from UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. So they're sanctioning two banks and also a number of individuals very close to the Kremlin, as well as uh, sovereign debt. Now, the primary debt market was already sanctioned in Russia. So this would be the secondary debt, debt market. But Caroline, on the diplomacy front, I want to bring you just some new information. We just had the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, speaking alongside his Ukrainian counterpart. And that meeting he was planned to attend at the end of next week with his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, has been canceled. He has said that this is now that we see the invasion is beginning and Russia has made clear its wholesale rejection of diplomacy. It does not make sense to go forward with that meeting at this time. Blinken says they do want to remain a path open for diplomacy, but his words only when Russia is serious about it. Okay, so where's the path to be opened? What, what's the next step? Do we have to await some sort of words coming from Putin or, or indeed one of his team? It's a great question, but prior to this meeting being scheduled, or, and it was being scheduled, was a caveat. And that was from the State Department saying, we will only attend this meeting if there's no further invasion of Ukraine. And obviously, over the weekend, what we had from Russia is President Vladimir Putin recognizing Donetsk and Luhansk as separate states. Now, these, the United States says this, is our, this is, goes and infringes upon the territorial integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine. So I think at this moment, given the fact that the U.S. is saying this meeting is canceled, the, the ball now is in the Kremlin's court. Indeed it is. And we wait and we watch and the market implications thereof of energy prices, metal prices, gas prices, you name it, Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Hodden, with the political angle to all of this. And we're going to have more of the corporate angle, in fact, because coming up, more of my exclusive interview with the Micron CEO. He's Sanjay Mohotra. We sat here in Boise, Idaho, in the R&D headquarters of Micron. We talked about, well, the state of global chip making industry. In fact, how the exposure to Russia and Ukraine is impacting some of those supply chain bottlenecks already, of course, being sustained by the semiconductor industry. This is Bloomberg. I will tell you that semiconductor supply chain is highly complex, yeah. highly intertwined. And, you know, sometimes there can be other uh, secondary suppliers, suppliers of the suppliers. And these are the things that it's important that this situation de-escalate so that no surprises show up for anybody in the ecosystem. Car makers slashed production. Playstations became impossible to find. Even everyday appliances were on back order. These phenomena all had a similar cause, an abrupt and cascading shortage of semiconductors. So what caused the shortfall? The stay-at-home shift triggered by the pandemic rearranged supply and demand. When certain businesses shut down, suppliers started to direct chips to phone and computer makers. Then, when the economy started to reopen, industries like automakers that had cut back on orders then rushed to re-up. The supply chain and capacity could not meet this surge in demand. 
COVID caused everybody to step back a bit from capacity and build out and the supply chain of the industry, and it induced a radical increase in demand. So you have supply chains scaling back a bit and demand scaling up radically. Wow, and now we're in a position that there's a meaningful shortage. This race for chips led to skyrocketing lead times, with the time gap between ordering a chip and delivery hitting records. In response, chip makers are now competing to play catch up and in the process, spending big bucks to increase capacity. I would say it's a competitive world and, and you know, we're gonna be uh, very competitive in the process. Micron is set to spend as much as $12 billion on new plants and equipment this fiscal year, part of a broader $150 billion spending plan. Intel, it unveiled a plan to invest as much as $28 billion, including fabs in the US. While in Asia, TSMC has a budget of as much as $40 billion for capacity expansion. With hundreds of billions of dollars at stake in the coming years, the global race to expand production is in full effect. Some executives say that despite all this money and effort, it still may not be enough to equal demand. I think for the better part of the next uh, four to five years, our industry, including global foundries, will be chasing the ability to put capacity online to meet not only the demand that's in front of us today, but the growing demand. As companies go all in and move their chips to the center of the table, global investors are placing bets on who will prevail in the coming decade. And I got to extend that conversation on all things supply chain to do with chips with Micron CEO Sanjay Mahotra right here at the company's headquarters in Boise, Idaho. And we spoke about everything from the chip crisis to supply chain issues to innovation and the 49,000 patents that they have here. And I asked him if, if there was a light in particular to do with supply chain headaches at the end of the tunnel. Here's what he had to say. So with respect to our own supply chain operations during the period of COVID over the last two years, what has been demonstrated is that a lot of the work that we were doing pre-COVID as well, in terms of building redundancy in our supply chain, deep analytics, again, working on our suppliers and their suppliers, and making sure that we have capacity, that all that work served us well. Of course, the COVID presented unprecedented level of challenges for everybody, and our teams were extremely agile and adaptive in terms of responding to those challenges. And I'm very proud of our global supply chain operations in how they tackled those and last, largely have been able to meet the demand sufficiently well and manage the mix and continuing to work with our suppliers. Regarding the current situation, what I would say is that maybe we are coming into the year, we certainly expected that supply chain shortages will continue to improve during the course of the year for non-memory components that we procure from other suppliers. Mm -hmm. While we see that many areas of those components, we are continuing to see improvements in certain categories of those components, the rate of improvement is behind what we were hoping for. However, we will, of course, continuing to work with our suppliers, with our partners to have them increase our supply to meet the demand. So some of these supply chain shortages in the industry, these are phenomena that are common to the industry, I believe will continue to improve through the year in many areas, while they may continue to have challenges in certain other areas. And there's a lot of focus in the entire ecosystem on the part of the industry to continue to address these situations. Because so many of 
the fabs have been running at full pelt. They needed to meet demand. And I think of NAND production that's recently been hit in the memory space by contamination within a, a US manufacturer. Do you think that this is, these incidents might continue to occur? Do you worry that prices actually, many felt prices would fall for chips coming into the end of the year? Will they actually rise, do you think? So, uh, you know, Micron is a great example of world's leading semiconductor memory technology and production. What you're seeing here in this Boise site is world's leading R&D facility. And from here, we fuel new technologies that go into production at our sites worldwide, including in Japan, in Taiwan, in Singapore, and of course, here in the US as well. Uh, so what's important is to realize, that, uh, with the example that you gave of other suppliers of NAND memory who have recently been hit with certain production challenges, what's important to realize is that, again, semiconductor production, as you saw in the tour today, yeah. is highly complex. Yeah. Uh, let me just give you an example. Um, we produce you know, several million wafers a year for our semiconductor memory and storage products. Our engineers are working around the clock, of course, with deep data analytics technologies involved as well, to in a very paranoid, productively paranoid, hmm. and absolutely tremendous attention to detail to monitor many, many parameters. Let yeah. me just give you an example. We have about 230 million parameters that are being controlled, constantly monitored at all times yeah. in our production across the fabs. This is what is needed to absolutely make sure that the production runs uninterrupted and our teams have done an amazing job in this regard. What about your work with the government? I know you're a man who has been speaking to the Commerce Secretary, to the administration. They see the supply chain issues, and they want to bring it closer to the home. They want to make sure manufacturing is back in the United States. They're offering about $50 billion, for example. Is that enough to make you build, once again, in the U.S. even more? I know you're already in Virginia. You're expanding here where we sit. But will it make the U.S. a powerhouse again? Yeah. Micron is investing in, in terms of really building the future of memory. The leading-edge technologies are being developed right here in this R&D facilities. Micron is leading with respect to DRAM and NAND technology. We are ahead in production with those most advanced technologies versus any other competitor. So really very proud of the work that gets produced here and is taken into production in other sites. I'm also highly appreciative of the work that the President Biden's administration is doing, Secretary DeMondo is championing, and of course, having bipartisan support in Congress as well for securing the long-term leadership in semiconductor research as well as bolstering semiconductor manufacturing here in the U.S. through CHIPS Acts and investment tax credits. The 50 billion that you talked about is a good start okay. and we of course have to get it across the finish line but then you know in the longer term more will have to be supported. It is critically important just as COVID has shown that we need to have resilient supply chain mm -hmm diversified supply chain and manufacturing footprint in the U.S. would be important. We have announced a plan for more than $150 billion investments over 10 years. But how much here? In leading edge R&D and manufacturing around the globe. And of course, what will be important is to have the necessary support from government 
to overcome the up to 45% cost difference that exists versus Asia production. And of course, Micron has been investing here mm -hmm. in leading edge R&D. I mean, this facility that you are seeing here and the tools, most advanced tools that will go into this facility to drive innovation forward will be you know, quickly adding up to a billion dollars here in the U.S. itself. Yeah. And we are investing at record level in CapEx in our fiscal year 22 around our global sites. Micron CEO there, Sanjay Mahotra. And a little later, I'll be joined live by a VP of Micron's DRAM process integration. You do not want to miss that conversation. Meanwhile, coming up, we'll stay in Boise. We're going to talk about, well, the tech startup scene right here. Mike Self's going to be with us. Stage.o Ventures. That's next. This is Bloomberg. Caroline Hyde in Boise, Idaho, and the Micron headquarters. And we want to talk a little bit more about, well, the tech scene, the evolving venture capital space that is currently building in places just like Boise, away from Silicon Valley and perhaps away from New York. And instead, finding slightly cheaper homes, maybe. I want to bring in Mike Self for this. He is, well, the co-founder. He's also the managing partner at Stage.O Ventures, an early stage venture capital firm with an office that is right here in Boise. Talk to us about, Mike, what attracted you first and foremost? Why bring the capital to this ecosystem? Hi, Caroline. Uh, thanks for having us on and, and welcome to Idaho. Um, our, our first fund was actually in Seattle and we were uh, geographically agnostic. We invested really ac across the country. And one of the things that we noticed in investing in big major tech hubs was it started to become a bit cost prohibitive and so we started exploring some of the Mountain West cities and we started in Boise and, and Idaho and, and quite frankly, never left. Um, we really found uh, the, the strength of the region was really the intellectual capital that was already here. Um, and there was almost an underground ground railroad of sorts of folks that were commuting from Silicon Valley, but live here in Idaho. And so the combination of that, and then if you do any sort of analysis of what uh, created tech hubs in the past, the HPs of the world created Silicon Valley. Microsoft helped create um, the tech ecosystem in Seattle, Dell in Austin, and so on and so forth. And, and we have Micron right here in Idaho. And, and so that, that was one of the important characteristics uh, for us to come. And then, and then lastly, um, you know, with uh, Governor Little's uh, leadership, it really provided a great uh, and stable business environment uh, for us to come and build companies. And when you're in, when you're in venture, you need to think 10 yeah. and 20 years out. So talk to us about, you know, two funds, 23 investments, if that's still up to date. What sort of companies are being built here that really stand above, head and shoulders above the rest? Yeah, so we focus on, our, our focus is in getting companies from commercialization uh, funded through healthy Series A and Series B investments. And so if you can do that, then you have a, a really good, a chance for success for our entrepreneurs. Um, and so really kind of the, the same companies that you're seeing in, in other large established tech ecosystems can be built right here in Idaho uh, from cybersecurity companies uh, like PlexTrack, for example, 
um, that just raised a $70 million round led by Insight Partners out of New York, um, um, all the way to fintech companies, AI auto finance companies, kind of the same broad swath that you'll find in bigger tech ecosystems. Entrepreneurs are, are either here and want to start those companies or are reaching out and are willing to move here to start their companies. So it's really an exciting time for Idaho. And is the tech talent coming here? Is it being bred here? Because there's a lot of academia right here in Boise. Yeah, it's, it's really a combination of both. We came here in 2018 and uh, we were just impressed with the folks that were already here. Uh, we certainly certainly could not have predicted the, the pandemic, but that certainly has, has helped. Um, you know, I, I like to say that, that Idaho used to be a flyover state. I think it's now a fly to state. Uh, we've had um, entrepreneurs that, that have moved here and are, are thriving here. And it's a great combination of finding intellectual capital and an affordable place to be able to grow your business. Mike, talk to us about the affordability, because as we've seen with COVID, suddenly places like Austin, like Boise are well becoming more expensive. Does that at any point become a hindrance or for now is it okay? Yeah, look, it's caught up over the last 24 months. Um, you know, I think that the Delta change from, from Salt Lake, uh, San Francisco, Seattle to Boise um, has changed. I mean, you know, real estate's been as, as hot here as anywhere in the country. Um, so, but, but on a relative standpoint, your day-to-day -day living and, and what it, it takes to, to start a business and grow a business, it's still very advantageous to be here. And, and it's not just a, a cost arbitrage in, in why you should start your, your company in Idaho. It's, it's about, you know, you're providing a, a great place for employees to be able to have a nice work-life balance. Um, and, and we really view Idaho as kind of being an intersection in between geographically in between the Pacific Northwest, Silicon Valley, and the rest of the Mountain West. It's, it's a 30 minute flight to Salt Lake. It's an hour and a half to San Francisco mm -hmm. and an hour to Seattle. So um, we, we see the growth here uh, just accelerating. So it's, it's not just a, a overall cost arbitrage. What do you think about now more VC coming as well? You've got the startups. Is more venture capital gonna be bred here too? Yeah, we're hoping so. You know, we, we've said that if if we're the only ones here, you know, 10 years from now, we haven't done our job. So, um, you know, we're, we have a very specific strategy where we invest in by practitioner for practitioner uh, entrepreneurs. And so, you know, we, we definitely need more to continue to build the ecosystem um, here. And, and look, we, we think that that's happening. When, when you see Andreessen Horowitz, when you see Bessemer, when you see Insight Partners, when you see Madrona, coming here and and writing sizable checks in the region, you know, that 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 really helps get the flywheel going and, and not only for the entrepreneurs, but for other VCs. So so we're hoping that we have more competition here uh, really soon. And we, we think that that's coming. Flywheel to the fly too. We thank you, Mike Self, co-founder, managing partner at Stage.O Ventures. Really great to have some time with you talking all, see, all things VC in Boise. Meanwhile, coming up, I'm going to be joined by T. Tran. She's the VP of Micron's DRAM process integration. I'm going to talk about, well, look, the technological innovation that's happening right here, right now. I've seen the lists of the patents that are being built, on average, three per day coming out of Micron. So we're going to talk about her nearly 30 years in the business to help inspire also the next generation of female innovators in particular. Plus later, well, the mayor of Boise, Lauren McLean, 
why my conversation with her on a boomer job creation in the city. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in Boise, Idaho today at the headquarters of Micron Technology. Now let's get back to the markets and a check on the day's, well, chip news in particular. Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow standing by. Yeah, we got to. And actually, if you look across the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, Caroline, there's only one name on Tuesday that was really in the green, and that was Advanced Micro Devices, AMD, up 1.6%, while the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index fared slightly better than the broader market, up eight tenths of, down 8 tenths of 1%, but still down nonetheless. Why? Bernstein turning bullish on this stock for the first time in a decade, bringing an outperform rating from a market perform rating at a price target of $150. They basically said, we got it wrong. We were late to the game. And of course, there was another milestone closed. With that 1.6% gain, AMD closed with a market value of $188.3 billion. Why is that significant? Bring up the next board. Because it gives it a market cap greater than Intel. And this has really been the story, the orange line AMD really outperforming Intel over the last 12 months or so. Why? Because it's also outperformed in the industry, stealing market share in that highly competitive server chip space. And it's definitely a stock that analysts have favored. They say this is one to watch and Bernstein finally coming around. There is this bigger picture though that we spoke about earlier with tech stocks, right? Semiconductors, just like some of their software cousins in the tech sector, suffer from this idea of stretch valuations. But Bernstein actually saying that AMD is relatively cheap. If you look at how the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index has performed year to date relative to the S&P 500 or even the Nasdaq 100, you can see there the orange line, the S&P 500, the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index or SOX, the white line, has really underperformed. But you have to remember it had such incredible outperformance in 2021, such a big run up. But AMD, one of the winners on Tuesday. Ed, great breakdown. Thank you. And we want to keep on the subject of more winners in the chip space. And we want to be talking now about the focus on memory chips, because, of course, we're sat here in Micron. And I'm joined now by the vice president, Micron's DRAM process integration. It's T Tran. It's great to have some time with you, T. And where Micron has managed to dominate and survived and become one of the few, well, it's an oligopoly now is within the memory space, is within DRAM. What is it now that you're doing to differentiate yourself? Because everyone says it's commoditized space, but it's not, right? Exactly, exactly. So we basically um, develop our memory technology to be industry leaders in both DRAM and NAND flash memory. And we do that to provide a wide uh, flexibility for product portfolio. Uh, and we continue to shrink so that we can uh, you know, reduce the cost and increase the density of our memory chips. And I've just been inside some of your fab here, R&D fab, which is phenomenal. I mean, I got in my bunny suit, I went around to keep it clean, and the machinery that is needed to, just talking about, what is it, sort of 60 or 600 different chemicals, different gases that are needed to produce this tiny piece of wafer. Just tell to us about the intricacies involved in continuing to shrink, shrink, shrink semiconductors. Yes, absolutely. It's gotten to be so complex that, you know, it's over thousands of steps and we basically use almost all of the elements on the periodic table 
and uh, you know my team takes it from uh, paper studies to uh, you know defining the structural dimensions, uh, the physical dimensions, and the electrical requirements uh, to meet the customer requirements for market demands. And it's um, basically, if you think about uh, building billions of Lego chips, right, and, and trying to build an Empire State building out of that, um, and, and we do this day in, day out, um, and virtually defect-free. So it's incredible the uh, innovation that's required to, um, you know, innovate for from the process development standpoint, new, using new materials and the most advanced tools possible. Yeah. Uh, to basically meet all of the demand that's out there. Talk to us about that demand. Where indeed is it coming from? I hear a lot about data centers, a lot about autos, but everyone, I feel, there's always a cynical analyst going, this is the same as before, it'll be a boom and then there'll be a bust. But fundamentally, has the demand picture changed to stop that happening? You know, actually, the if you think about our daily lives, right, without memory, I think life would come to a screeching halt. Uh, Memory is in everything we use, and some of the trends show that, you know, besides the data centers and, um, you know, enterprise uh, storage applications, the automotive, the advanced automotive applications require AI, requires machine learning, and we basically, you know, have to have enough, um, you know, faster memory, uh, more uh, density to store all that data. And uh, applying new technologies like 5G and, and uh, IoT to leverage that data and put more value to it. So we'll always need more edge computing, cloud computing. And if you really want to hit it home, uh, we basically, you know, with the, the video calls, work from home, all the infotainment that we need memory for, and, and uh, you know, gaming and, and even telemedicine, uh, you know, it, it's, um, you can never have enough memory. Okay, so you feel the demand picture is very solid. What about, therefore, we had a long discussion about supply chain, the intricacies therein with Sanjay earlier, but what about the talent pipeline to feed that? Because we sit here and see that you're beefing up your infrastructure on the ground. There's talk, of course, about the United States wanting to ensure that people are building more fabs locally. But what about the talent to go in those fabs? Is that being built up enough in the United States? The talent uh, needs more help uh, from uh, all the way back to, you know, all the STEM programs from, you know, elementary all the way through high school and higher education. Uh, you know, we corporate, uh, being corporate, good corporate citizens, uh, companies also need to uh, not only provide uh, the funding, but also sponsor and, and provide mentorship programs uh, for these uh, programs that help you know, also underprivileged, um, you know, people to, to... I know that's something that you're very passionate about. Yeah. You didn't have the most obvious route to becoming a senior executive at a huge company based in the United States. Talk to us a little bit about your journey. Yes, my journey from refugee to VP at Micron Technology is a story of survival, resilience, and uh, really living the American dream. I, my father, after the... Um, Vietnam War uh, ended. My father was imprisoned by the communist government for 10 years. So we had to escape from Vietnam. We tried three times and finally survived uh, Thai pirates and harrowing storms to make it to Thailand. Lived in a refugee camp and uh, before we made it to the US. 
And in terms of resilience, we, you know, we started from scratch, um, held multiple jobs at six paper routes, and I don't know how many jobs during wow. high school and college. Um, but you know, uh, we we managed to survive and and um, you know t you know turn setbacks into comebacks. And um, electrical engineering was really my uh, ticket out of poverty. Um, it was it started as a practical decision. But along the way, I learned to hone my craft and uh, really find my groove, especially when I started at Micron. Um, and I, you know, uh, I'm like in the zone when it comes to semiconductor. I lead a very talented team, so I'm, I'm very grateful to be where I am today uh, and, and for the people that have helped me throughout my career. A really powerful story. What do the rest of your colleagues and the talented team you have look like? Because I'm, I know that Sanjay himself coming from India, you coming from outside of the US, how are you making sure that the talent pool here is so rich, so diverse, and doesn't look like what a lot of people envisage Silicon Valley to look yes. like? Well, talent attracts talent. <laughs> so, you know, we have a, already a talented team here. It's a global team, but we also have um, a lot of technology development talent here in Boise. We, uh, you know, in order to attract talent, we need to also uh, offer opportunities for growth and leadership and, um, you know, our innovative prowess, um, as you probably saw with our patent wall, uh, you know, over yeah. 48,000 uh, 500 patents, uh, you know, to date. Uh, so, you know, we uh, we foster an environment with innovation where people strive, you know, and then really thrive uh, in terms of their career development. T, it's been great speaking with you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. T Tran, VP of Micron. What a story. Meanwhile, coming up, I sit down with Boise's mayor, Lauren McLean, to talk about all of this, particularly talent, chip making, bringing jobs to the city, and how else it's affecting the city of Boise. More on that next. This is Bloomberg. here in Boise, Idaho at the Micron headquarters. Let's take a look at crypto markets now for our crypto report. Bloomberg Shanali Basak, take it away. Thanks, Caroline. Let's take a look at where crypto prices have gone first over the last day or so, because we did start to get a bit, a little bit of lift in crypto prices over one day after five straight days of declines. But if you take a look at that price, that still has not breached $38,000 and is still on the decline right now, down over the last two days still. And so even with the most recent bid, you're not seeing much of a rise. If you take a look also at the drawdown we've seen in Bitcoin, you're seeing that not only have you had a 10-day decline here over the last uh, 10 days of Bitcoin trading, you have had a significant drawdown from last year over the highs of Bitcoin. You have gotten from almost 70000 more than $67,000 to a 44% drawdown. Let's flip up the screen here and take a look at just that, what that means. The drawdown now is not the worst that we've seen it in the last year. Caroline, but it is among the worst that we've seen from those highs that we are, that we were talking about just a moment ago. So let's see if this means that we're close to hitting a floor or if there will be a ways to go as risk starts to wean off of markets.
Talking technicals, Shanali Basak, we love it. Thank you so much on the crypto update. Meanwhile, let's get you back up to date with Boise because right here in Idaho, my colleagues, Taylor Riggs, Romain Bostic and I, managed to have a good chat with the mayor, Lauren McLean, about how the chip industry and rising tech scene is affecting well, the city's job market. Take a listen. What we've done here in Boise throughout the last two decades is create a community that welcomes everyone to, and supports a technology sector that makes those jobs available. In fact, I came, I moved here right out of college. So this is the one home that I've had as an adult and it was the technology space that recruited my husband and I to move here. Um, and as has been mentioned the last 20 years, just as Micron's grown, um, the technology um, sector has grown here as well. Well, give, give us a sense here, Mayor, for those of us who aren't all that familiar with Boise here, what's the attraction for companies like that? What's the attraction for employees to come there? Why are they choosing there versus other sort of major coastal hubs? Well, we have a community that really welcomes everyone, and Micron in particular has helped lead the way when it comes to creating an inclusive and diverse community. We've got a great landscape with a beautiful clean river, open space for folks to enjoy, but importantly, growing economic opportunity as the tech space in particular continues to grow, whether it be small companies that started out in the last 10 years have grown or been acquired, um, or companies that have grown right alongside the city like Micron in the last 20 years. We've been speaking to Micron, we've been speaking to Clearwater, for example, as yeah. well, one that's been growing here. I just flew into Boise Airport. It's great, fantastic infrastructure. But is it enough when you start to see more and more people coming, when you see that suddenly they're all racing for homes, when we're looking stress on hospitals and the like, what are you doing to ensure that the standard of living people who are so used to here remains intact? You know, Boiseans have always valued investing. In fact, just this last fall, we passed a massive water bond to make sure that our water remains clean, that we can grow and create the infrastructure we need. Um, in fact, we're piloting a clean water and water renewal project with Micron in particular. Um, housing is really important. Just as every community around the country is grappling with the rising costs of housing, we're remaining focused on making sure we've got great education, good workforce, partnership with business and industry helping us address affordability and then creating the economic opportunity of the future to support the residents that are here and then of course welcome more that are coming. Talk to us then about the balance sheet, the fundamentals of a city. Rising property taxes and sales taxes can certainly help, but you also are known for one of being one of the lower tax states. How are you thinking about financing this and balancing a budget? Sure. Well, um, we in Idaho and particularly in Boise pride ourselves with great financial management and our budget can only grow a certain amount every year and we prioritize investments that keep the level of quality of life and the level of service um, that our residents come to expect in that budgeting. Of course, we have to work with private industry, other agencies and the state um, to do what's needed to address affordability to support workforce development, to make sure our kids are educated well and prepped for STEM jobs of the future, um, all while doing what Idahoans do well, which is budget soundly. Boise Mayor there, Lauren McLean. Great to have some time with her. Meanwhile, coming up, we're gonna be discussing the chip shortage a little bit more, which just isn't going away anytime soon, at least not according to my next guests, when the crunch could calm and help ease supply chain concerns as well. That's next.
Let's bring back. I'm Caroline Hyde in Boise at the headquarters of Micron and I want to continue our ongoing conversation. We've actually been having it for about four hours now about supply chain issues, the chip crunch. I want to welcome Joanne Feeney. She's a partner at Visors Capital Management, friend of the show and a portfolio manager, of course. Also joined by Bloomberg's Ian King, who covers all things chips for us, has helped educate me as to what is necessary to potentially look through what is right now a supply chain headache that doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. Ian, talk to us first and foremost about why some thought 2022 would be the time that prices would fall off, that we'd actually start to see maybe a right-sizing of supply demand, but it doesn't seem to be happening quite yet. Yeah, I mean, it really does depend who you speak to and which sector you're talking about. Um, you know, a lot of the industry had said second half of 2022, things begin to get better. But then we're hearing, you know, a lot of talk about people saying, well, perhaps we don't get back to balance in certain products until 2023. A lot of that has to do with who you are and what you're asking for. And I think a lot of people will point to the automotive industry as being the biggest victims because, frankly, they were late to realize that they had a problem and they were late and they had to join sort of the end of the, the queue to get what they needed. Joanne, your take as an investor about the boom-bust cycle, because right now we're hearing this call not only from the administration looking to see government putting billions, 50 billion to work to incentivize companies to build supply here in the United States, but already people looking at the, what's going to come on tap by 2023. Are we going to see a sudden flood of supply? Are we once again going to back, go back into the boom-bust cycle of, of previous? Yeah, great question, Caroline, and, and hello, and hi, Ian. Nice to see you again. Uh, you know, clearly, we are still at a point where demand is far outstripping supply, and that's simply because it takes a long time to build these fabs. Uh, this middle of this year, we're going to have more fabs come online, so we'll start to see the supply that is needed. But yeah, it looks like the real influx of supply as those fabs ramp up isn't going to be until 2023. Whether that leads to a bust, I think at this point is pretty unlikely. You look at how many cars are being produced relative to pre-pandemic, we're still well below uh, that number. And then add to that the fact that content per car has risen. And then you take that and you spread it around the rest of the economy, whether it's in you know, households and the amount of chips there, medical equipment, factory automation, the use of robotics. I mean, there's just such a big increase in content that I think it's gonna take actually quite a long time for supply to catch up to demand. And, you know, so I don't anticipate a bust anytime soon. The subsidy from the U.S. government could complicate matters because that means that the industry is going to be bigger than they would be if left to their own devices. And that does mean overcapacity at some point, but it's going to take a number of years before we get to that I mean, And this is, of course, the overcapacity that many know and, and understand and that companies desperately try to fine-tune and avoid. But from your perspective, with the government incentives that are being talked of, will you see a, a shift towards at least more supply being grown in the United States? Will we see less risk to supply chains going forward as we've had in the past? Well, I mean, that is the argument being made 
by executives who essentially want government to help subsidise their expansion plans. Makes complete sense that you would ring that bell and get the you know the attention of politicians, get them behind that. But when you actually look at the amount of money being deployed and whether that will ultimately have the kind of impact that um, you know the politicians are hoping for, it remains to be seen. I mean, just compare the numbers, right? 52 billion from the U.S. over five years versus. 40 billion being budgeted by TSMC alone this year. That gives you an example of really how little um, the national governments are deploying in terms of capital and, and really tells you that they probably don't understand the long-term sort of requirements and commitments that are needed. Joanne, to that point, the investment decision you therefore make, is it, do you want to be investing in companies that are maybe taking on short-term incentives, but longer-term, less economic sense than producing out of Asia? Yeah, you know, Ian's exactly right. Uh, it's, it's not going to be a big incremental addition. And moreover, the subsidies to the companies to build these fabs means that their depreciation costs will be lower than otherwise. So they'll have a little bit of a buffer. And probably even more importantly is, is how the industry has changed over the last decade or so, right? The, the chips are used now in a much wider variety of locations. And so it tends to be less cyclical than it was primarily PCs and servers. So that helps to smooth out some of the cyclical, you know, problems that we've run into in the past with this industry. And, you know, even beyond that, you know, just think about, again, that rise in content that's coming. I don't think the U.S. subsidy is really going to add all that much. Again, on the margin, yeah, we'll probably get a little extra capacity. It'll be in the U.S., but that's also not going to eliminate the risk of shortages. Look what happened this time around. It was the auto sector that chose to cancel their orders because they thought demand for cars was going to go away at the beginning of the pandemic. That led to their, their shortage problem. They couldn't get back in line fast enough. And so, you know, and the big shock of how behavior changed because of COVID, that really increased the demand for everything with chips in it. You know, those shocks can happen no matter what the government yeah. does. But having a bit more reliance on U.S. factors at least will limit our exposure uh, potentially to some um, political uh, risks that are out. Well said. I mean, if COVID has taught us anything and geopolitics continues to, it's diversification that you want in terms of your supply chain. Joanne Feeney, we thank you so much. Advice is capital management. And of course, our own Ian King of Bloomberg News. Thank you both. Now that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. But tomorrow, we're going to be talking to Jonathan Johnson, CEO of Overstock, and along with Jeff Lawson, co-founder and CEO of Twilio. Audio Jungle. Audio Jungle. start with Chelsea and they took a big step towards the Champions League quarter-final but once again Romelu Lukaku 
is the main talking point. He was left on the bench for the game against Lille. Yeah, increasing scrutiny over his form and Thomas Tuchel took him out of the firing line, claiming that his striker was physically and mentally tired. But Tuchel himself became increasingly agitated at the number of questions on Lukaku. Was not the moment like was not the moment after after the match where everybody was focused on the on the few touches that he had to put him right away in, 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 into the next fire. It was uh, the moment to take a step back. That was uh, that was the decision, and that's it. But uh, you can clearly see. I mean, we have now we have now a, um, a strong win. We had a strong performance. It was a tough match, and and. Uh, Almost every question is about Romelu, so the focus is the focus is huge. Romelu struggled in the last games uh, a little bit to to deliver that. That's what I meant when I said he, I felt him a bit tired, not only mentally tired but also physically tired. There are like nine other players who did not play, and um, and uh, we should we should we should uh, never forget that we consider this sport a team sport. And this is it. And then the 11 guys who play uh, do everything to, to, to commit fully to, to what we plan and to commit fully to their teammates. And the guys from the bench uh, have to do the same. And, and this is how, how it works, uh, especially at Chelsea and especially for us. And this is how we win football games. For Sunday, we have four days to decide and to recover. And of course, he has every chance to play. Patience has finally run out, James. I have no more patience. Mm. The feel around the, the fans, every time I go to Stamford Bridge, is so negative. I've, I haven't heard anything positive surrounding Romelu Lukaku. And it's quite sad because mm. at the start of the season, like you said, he was firing. He was absolutely fine. We don't know what happened, where it went downhill came back from injury, didn't surprise us. He came back from a Sky Italia interview that was not sanctioned and it shouldn't have happened. And he still hasn't given that apology performance yet. So it's a bit toxic in the ground. I won't lie to you. Um, especially against Plymouth. That was the last time I was there before the Lille match. A lot of fans were screaming for Romelu to just do something, to mm. kind of just move on the ball a little bit, and he didn't give us that. The game against Liverpool, we're going to find out if Lukaku starts that game. If he doesn't, that's, I mean, incredibly glaring. At the moment, it's just squad rotation. But I think as we go on, and I did a live stream on it yesterday, and the big question I was saying is, what is the best front three for, for Chelsea now? And is he in it? And I think at the moment, he's not. And this is Chelsea. They spend a lot of money on strikers and they don't always play them. So this is a, it's a really sort of strange time for Romelu Lukaku. Well, it remains to be seen if Lukaku will be recalled on Sunday for the EFL Cup final against Liverpool. Kai Havertz was the man who filled in at striker last night and what a performance it was from him. Yeah, he scored Chelsea's first with a thumping header and Tuchel was equally impressed with his defensive work. For Kai, I'm very pleased because Kai is very, very strong since weeks now and he really steps up in, in the game. The effort is is uh, is uh, immense the work rate is immense the volume the the, the um, 
And, uh, the areas of the pitch that he covers for us is uh, very, very good. Uh, he was again decisive. He created chances, was involved, and he's never shy of, of defending. So yeah, Havertz defending from the front, helping to contribute to a 39th clean sheet since Tuchel took over. Actually, get this, uh, that is nine more than any other team in Europe's top five leagues in that same period of time since Tuchel got the job. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. One mm -hmm. man instrumental to that record is N'Golo Kante, who Tuchel believes finally returned to his best form last night. Let's say it was not building up in the last weeks. He had some problems to to find his uh, to find his strengths and his his rhythm after after his injury and uh, after after he was out for some games. Um, but today he was back on 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 top level. Got better every minute uh, throughout the game and and. Uh, Instantly, it has a huge impact, but this is not a surprise. I mean, we were waiting for it since, since like I said, since some day, some games now. And uh, today, he found his found his rhythm and uh, was a huge impact and uh, absolutely top performance. Well, that top performance was rewarded with man of the match. Kante has now won the award in his last four Champions League knockout matches, including both semi-final legs and the final of last season. Big Kante smile. 2-0 win for Chelsea. Not always a comfortable night for Tuchel though. He was shouting instructions to his players from the touchline and his chewing gum fell out of his mouth. Oh no. I was shouting and chewing at the same time, which is like obviously not the combination. Normally I catch it, but I did not catch it today. So, so uh, you have something to laugh about. to another segment of the LB show. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to the Orange Bloods Texas YouTube channel. Today's exciting because Lauren asked for some questions on her Instagram story and she got tons. Y'all really love Lauren. <laughs> she got a lot of questions. So we're going to just be going through them. I have them on my phone and she's just going to answer as many as she can. We might need to do a part two, but we'll see. You ready? All right, let's, let's get into it. Have you ever answered your these questions on your own? I've, like done, I've done some in the past. Back when I took the RV on a very long drive from Texas to Oregon, I went and I did like a Q&A because I was pretty bored, but not really, actually. So it'll be fun. I'm, I'm interested to see what everyone asked. Okay. I filtered some out, obviously, but... <laughs> It'll still be interesting. Okay, first one. Are you ready to play the series in Stillwater? Yes, Stillwater is a really fun place to play. It's uh, Oklahoma State. It's a tough environment, tough crowd, but it's also fun to play against a crowd. I'd rather play in front of people cheering against me than not cheering at all. So, yes. Okay. How is your day going? My day's going good. Yeah, so far so good. It's an off day. Okay. Okay. That always makes it go good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. What made you realize that you wanted to continue to play for Coach White at UT? 
I have a lot of trust in Coach White. I've played for him since I was seven. So I think that relationship and that connection just made me feel comfortable with transferring to Texas. Okay. This Trump one asks, how many bombs are you going to get this year? Are bombs, this is something you didn't teach me. What are bombs? I'm sorry. I'll take full accountability. Bombs <laughs> is a home run. Um, okay. You know, I normally I'll get like three a season, not too much of a power hitter, but I'll aim for, let's aim for five this season. Really pushing okay. it, getting crazy. <laughs> getting crazy. Okay. It's Favorite rough. baseball team? Favorite baseball team, Texas. They're the best. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to let you have that one because I think they asked MLB later. So mm. we're gonna, yeah. Okay. Texas favorite baseball team. <laughs> Someone asked, are you single? I am single. <laughs> okay. Period. All okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, this is like me learning more about my athletes too. I know nothing yeah. about you guys. So I'm really like, they're asking a question. So I don't have to. Yeah. Okay, best barbecue in Texas. Oh, I like Terry Black's barbecue, except the line is always super long, but that's definitely my favorite place. The line is very long. And the first time I went there, it was hot and I was just sweating so bad, like before you even get into the building, which kind of made the experience a little bit less great, but still good food. <laughs> I understand. So we would take our recruits to Terry Black. Usually when we would only have like one or two recruits, not a lot, we would always take them to Terry Black's. I hated it because it's just the commute to get all the way to, I don't even remember where that is anymore. Um, it's right across from Zilker Park. Zilker, yes. And yeah, Barton. Yeah. Barton yeah. Road, yeah. The commute to get over there was annoying because it's right in the middle of the city. And then yeah. there was a long line, which means that there's no parking. Not a good experience. Mm -mm. <laughs> but the food's okay. still 10 out of 10. Okay, 10 out of 10. How do you try out for the Olympic team? And do you intend to try out? The Olympic team, it's the U.S. team. And I think it's invite only. Um, but I, I'm sure that you could go and just be like an open tryout. But I'm pretty sure that if you're going to try out, it's normally because you have an invite. But I don't plan to try out or play for the Olympic team. I don't know if my skill set matches up, but I would love to if I ever had the opportunity, but I'm just a supporter as of right now. Yeah. And it says advice on how to handle not getting as much playing time. Oh, that's a good one. So I actually didn't start the last two games in, or the first two games in Florida. And it's a hard position to be in. Obviously everyone's putting in that work and they want to be getting the playing time, but you have to embrace your role and you have to be the best teammate you can be. If you're not getting the playing time, accept that and reflect on what you could be doing to either push your teammates or to earn that spot. It's competitive. It's supposed to be, and that makes it fun. It's going to raise the standard for the entire team. But yeah, I mean, if you're not playing, take it, point the finger back at yourself and recognize what you could be doing better to get back in that starting nine. So get back to work take some film of yourself, reflect on what you could do better and just continue to grow. That's great advice. What size is your bet? 34 drop nine. You probably don't know what that means. 34 <laughs> is like the length and drop nine is the weight. Oh, okay. Yes. And how do you decide like what size bet you have? Our whole team just about swings 34 drop eight or drop nine. Uh, the lower the drop, so if it's drop eight, it's heavier. 
and a heavier bat makes the ball go further, but you have to be strong enough to do that. So I like to just use a drop nine. In high school, I used to use a drop 10, which is lighter, but just personal preference, really. You swing whatever feels comfortable. Oh, wow. Okay. How many years have you been playing softball total? Since I was seven. So I don't even know the math on top of my head, but it's been a long, long, long time. That's kind of like me and track. I've been running since I was seven. Well, now I'm done, but. It's almost like as long (laughs) as I can remember, it's, I've always done it. It's just kind of like a part of me at this point. Yeah, understandable. Favorite burger spot? Ooh, favorite burger spot. Um, I don't really go for a burger very often. I don't know. I don't know why I just don't, but I'll say Whataburger because I think that's the Texas thing that I'm supposed to say. <laughs> so I'll give- Is it out out actually good to you? Does a burger sound good? No, does In-N-Out burger. I like In-N-Out in California, but it's only because I'm from Oregon and we used to road trip down for yeah. spring break and stuff. And that was like the highlight of the trip was stopping at In-N-Out. But I don't really ever- think it's all that great anymore but the environment's cool it's like a popular restaurant to go to but it is popular it's like a west coast thing to me if I go to in and out then it feels like I'm in the west coast or whatever but it's not that good to me yeah (laughs) at all any regrets transferring from Oregon to Texas I have no regrets I think getting out of Oregon it's where I'm from it was my hometown I think not only just for softball, but personally getting out of where I grew up and around my comfort zone, going to Texas challenged me a lot. And I think it's been probably the best thing I've ever done for myself. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Why have you not been in the starting lineup? Well, I was not in the starting lineup those first two games in Florida and I wasn't because I wasn't performing and coach white is going to put the top nine hitters out there. And I wasn't, when I, my name was called, I wasn't ready to hit. And so I did a lot of reflection. I watched some film after those Friday games and I put in that extra work before the game, talked to my coaches about what I could do better. And I ended up starting the following three games and kind of getting back into it. But I mean, when you're in a slump, you're in a slump and you can't just expect your name to continue to get called. So you have to yeah. point the finger back at yourself and be like, what could I have done? And I wasn't doing my job and that's why I wasn't starting. But again, going back to that playing time, it's, you have to put in the work and once you do, and you got to earn it. How do you start the recruiting process? Ooh, recruiting process. For me, it started when I was so young and I wish it didn't in softball, I committed probably when I was a freshman in high school to Oregon, which is just so ridiculous looking back. Like, how could you possibly know what you want at that point? Mm -hmm. But I mean, the recruiting process in general, as far as reaching out to coaches, you send them emails, you make a short highlight tape. What I did that really worked well was going to camps, like colleges put on softball camps and clinics, and I would go attend those because then you can build a relationship with the coaches, the players, and you can really see how the team gels. So I would say the number one thing for recruiting is going to those camps for sure. Would you ever consider playing co-ed slow pitch after retirement? A hundred percent. I'm already planning on doing slow pitch league. I can't wait. It's going to be so fun. There's quite a few in Austin. It's just literally like slow pitch and 
I just a good time. I'm I'm definitely joining a slow pitch league. Wait, is it like a like a masters? No, no, no. It's just like a for fun thing. Like just yeah, a lot of uh baseball and softball ex collegiate athletes will join slow pitch leagues. It's gonna be fun. Wow. Yeah. I wish they had that for track. Yeah. I guess technically, like if you don't get a contract, you just kind of find a group to go to but that sounds a lot more fun because it's like it's leisure yeah <laughs> definitely favorite MLB team I don't really watch a lot of MLB games I probably should so I'll say the Texas Rangers because they're <laughs> Texas in Texas and I know the other Texas team I think got caught cheating so we're gonna stick with the Rangers Astros, Astros didn't they have a whole cheating scandal Maybe. <laughs> Pretty sure they did. So I'm going to stick with the Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they just... No, the Braves won. I knew that. I don't know if I did. It's... Cut that out. I should know that because like, I'm from Atlanta, so I should know that. But yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure with the amount of traffic, it was like Braves won over Astros. Who knows? Look, she doesn't watch the MLB. Yeah. <laughs> How old are you? 22. When is your birthday? March 30th. Oh, okay. So that's Taurus. Uh, Aries, actually. I think I'm Aries the beginning still. of Aries. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. What's your plans after college? I plan to stay in Austin. As far as work goes, I don't know what that's going to be like yet, but just enjoy being in my 20s in Austin. It's such a fun city and staying around softball as much as I can. I'm going to go watch from the other side of the fence, which is going to be different, but yeah, just stay in Austin, travel, have some fun for probably a year and then get into the workforce. That's smart. Favorite thing about UT? My favorite thing about UT. Hmm. Well, I mean, a degree from UT would probably be a favorite. Having that means a lot, but also just UT in general, as an athlete, the fan base is so strong and it's some, it's like that brand and that logo is the UT. Everyone wants to beat you. You have a target on your back. And I kind of love that about UT is, you know, everyone's going to play their best game when they play you. And I think that makes UT unique. Did you enjoy Florida for the Clearwater tournament? No. If I'm going to be honest, we did not do well. It was extremely difficult physically, mentally, everything about that was hard. And yeah, no, I, I did not enjoy it at all, actually. Let's talk about it. Like, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about on? it. Yeah. Cause you know, like when I saw it, I was confused, not because I don't know anything about softball um, that, and because I know it's tough, especially after losing for the first day you know those two games that you all lost and then going into the next days it can be tough to just pick yourself back up so I really want to know like what was going on I wish I honestly had an answer we're trying to figure it out what's going on we we have probably the most talented team at Texas that we've had in all the years I've been here and so it's hard because it's like, we're so talented, but we're not, I don't know if it's, we're not connecting on the field or there's a lack of communication somewhere, but there's something going on. Then we really do need to get to the bottom of it and to just continue to work. But the talent is there. And the problem is 
is in our heads. It's not physical, it's all mental. And we're going to have to do some work to really get over this because it is a hump. But at the same time, I'd rather be going through this adversity right now rather than in postseason. I don't want to be peaking right now. I don't want our team to be doing the best we're going to do all year at the beginning of the season. I want us to be doing the best at the end. So, I mean, our team has to look at this. We can take it one of two ways. It's either going to really bring us together or it's going to tear us apart. And we all need to make that decision to really buy into each other and buy into the culture for Texas softball to, I mean, we can't let it tear us apart and it's, it would be easy to just get mad and point fingers at everyone else, but everyone needs to just look back at themselves, reflect on what they could have done better. But I mean, I don't have an answer for what happened. It, yeah, I'm still kind of trying to process it. It's extremely frustrating and yeah, I'm kind of at a loss of words about the entire situation and you want to just forget about it, but we all do need to go back and reflect and, and see what we all need to do individually to, to make the team better and not allow that to ever, ever happen again. Yeah. And what did coach white say? Um, I mean, he, he's pretty much saying similar stuff where it can be easy to point fingers at everyone else and get mad at each other for making an error or not getting the job done. But he's really been saying that the coaching staff is going to go back this week and going to put in a lot of work about what we can do better and how they can coach us better and communicate with us better. And he's really taking accountability in that aspect. And he's expecting the players to do the same with taking that accountability but there's not much he can say. He's upset. We're upset. Everyone's not thrilled that we went, oh, and five, you can't be. It's everyone's just trying to figure it out and come back tomorrow for practice and get back to work and just have a lot, a lot of room to grow. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on. Yeah. Why do you wear double O? Why do I wear wear double zero? I have never been the same number. I've been so many different numbers. I'm not very superstitious with that. So I just wanted a low number and double zero it was when I got to Texas. What else do you like to do besides softball? I like to hang out with my dog, Simba. I love going on walks around Ladybird Lake Trail right there. Um, I like to just go get dinner with my friends, with my teammates go to coffee shops, go to new restaurants. Um, I mean, all the normal things. It just, I like to do all the basic college stuff. Like I like to go out with my friends and I like to go out to restaurants and all these things. And then I just, on the side, I play my sport. So I mean, normal life, just with the additional little things like softball and weights and all that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Favorite thing about softball. I think my favorite thing about softball is probably the, probably the environment and the atmosphere. It's a competitive atmosphere, but it's, I'm surrounded by like-minded girls and they're all my best friends. So it's like, you have this sisterhood of Texas softball, but we're all super competitive and we all bring out the fire and the I mean, the desire to win out of each other. It's like you have this common goal with this group of 24 girls this year. And it's it's a cool atmosphere that not many people get to be a part of. So I think softball has brought me some of my best friends 
it's really helped me grow as a person. It's brought me some of the biggest challenges, but also some of the best times. So softball as a whole has given me a whole lot, but I think that throughout all of it, the best thing is just the atmosphere that it puts me in. Do you get stopped by fans in public? A couple times I have, um, and it's really cool. Like after that last game, I got to sign autographs for uh, younger softball players. And it, it really is, it just, it quite literally like melted my heart. It made me so happy to be able to give the little girls the same experience that I got when I was little and going up to softball players that I looked up to and asking for their autograph and having the same thing happen to me. It's, it's so special and it's so cool. And it just, it really, it, it just makes me extremely happy. Why did you transfer from Oregon to Texas? I transferred to Texas ultimately because my experience at Oregon, the first half of my sophomore year, we had a new coach, an entirely new coaching staff. And I just, I struggled to buy into that coaching staff. And I yeah. knew that it wasn't the atmosphere that I wanted to be in at Oregon anymore. And so I ended up entering the transfer portal the day that it actually opened on September 1st or something like that. The day the transfer portal began for student athletes, I joined it and just a couple of days later committed to Texas. So really I transferred because I trust coach white. I want to win a national championship. I want to compete in an atmosphere that's with all my best friends. And that's what Texas gave me. How tall are you? I'm five, eight. The website says I'm five, seven though. And I'm definitely five, eight, but <laughs> clearly I'm not upset about it. Right. What song is on repeat for you right now? Well, not right now, but what song is using on repeat for you? Mm, I don't think I have a song on repeat. Really? Get, like I'll get a song stuck in my head, but really I, I listen to a ton of different genres depending on who I'm around or what I'm doing. And yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything stuck in my head or like a go-to song. I really just shuffle playlist or listen to whatever's in the locker room or just on my oh, phone. So what's yeah. your top five favorite artists then? It doesn't matter the genre. Top five. You like I genuinely will listen to whatever song is on. I'm not, I've, I know it's weird, but like, I'm not a super big music girl. Listen to it, sure, but enjoy it. Like you don't have like a top five favorite artist. I don't think I do. Like if I, people think I'm crazy, but when I work out, I don't, and I'm by myself, I don't work out to music. I, I like to be quiet, like quiet in my thoughts. It's so weird. <laughs> I, people think I'm totally crazy, but yeah, I'm I like to be quiet. <laughs> like in my thoughts, I like to be thinking and like the mind muscle, you know, whatever it is, but I don't, I'm not a big music girl. Okay. Which is totally weird, but don't judge me. <laughs> it's, I, I'm surprised. <laughs> okay. Who's the toughest pitcher you faced at the collegiate level? Um, probably Montana Fouts at Alabama. We actually are going there in a couple weeks and we'll get to face her again, but she's just, she's an amazing pitcher, commands the zone, throws hard with velocity and also moves the ball. So I'm excited to go face her again, but she's, she's tough competition for sure. Do you have any goals for the season? My goals for the season are always to win a big 12 championship and win a national championship, but we have to really 
have the systems in place that's going to lead us there. And that's what we have to do right now. So I would say my goals currently are to find the systems that work for our team in order to put us in a position to be able to win a big 12 and national championship. So taking a day at a day at a time. Are you a natural Southpaw or bat left, but throw right? Natural Southpaw. I don't know if I know what that means, but I am right-handed and I bat left-handed throw right-handed, but it's a choice. I made the decision to switch over to the left side. I don't know if I answered that question at all, but I wouldn't know. Okay. <laughs> well, when I saw it, I was like, maybe she didn't answer. teach me this term. <laughs> I didn't know the term. I can't teach it if I don't know it. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite restaurant to go to in Austin? I like to go to Chewy's with my team. That's like our team place to go to. And we always go there. I like Matzel Rancho for the drinks. It's Everybody just a good time. Them. Um, yeah, I also liked going to True Food Kitchen with like my family. It's, I like that place too, but probably Chewy's is the go-to. Okay. Ever had an injury that made you think you wouldn't recover from? No, I've been extremely lucky that I've never had any injuries, knock on, knock on wood, but yeah, I've never had an, an injury. So thank, thankful for that. And now I'm a little nervous that I jinxed myself, but no, you're good. No, we're good. I'll knock on whatever yeah, this is. Everything needs to be knocked on. <laughs> What's your major? Communication with an emphasis on leadership. Wow. Moody College. Well, I graduated, so I'm done with that. But yeah, Moody grad. We love Moody. We love Moody. It's fine. Do. I didn't we know they had Moody. a leadership. It's our, it's a new major, um, CLD. And another one of my teammates, Sophia, is she's a freshman and she's doing the same major as me, which is kind of cool too. Oh, wow. Okay. I was communications with concentration or certificate in sports media. Well, I guess that makes sense. So what you're doing is very fitting. <laughs> it's very fitting. It better be fitting. Like I went to school for for four years. It needs to be fitting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Did you get your favorite position in softball? I know you bounced around, but... Are you content with where you're at right now? Yeah, I'm content with where I'm at. I, again, I'm still, this tournament alone, I played two positions. I was in left field and also in right field. So bouncing around, but as, as long as I'm contributing to the team, I'm happy with it. Okay. And last question, finally, okay. <laughs> what's your favorite candy? Ooh, a favorite candy, probably a Kit Kat. I love Kit Kats and I eat them in the weird way where it's like a, the chocolate and then like bite I around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I definitely do that. I don't eat a lot of candy, but I do do that. Yeah. Thank you for answering questions. That was a lot of questions. They That's asked fun. you a lot. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to the Orange Bloods Texas YouTube channel. Shit We Never Asked For is a podcast dedicated to your process. Getting you the most authentic perspective in real time where your hosts, Isaiah Anthony and Android Award. Rooted in intention and developing as a constant narrative, we are here to question all the things. 
and in the process, interrupt and explore our own patterns of being. Each week, we invite you to meet us where we are at by inwardly assessing and outwardly progressing. Our aim is to build a collective knowledge of productive self-work by asking ourselves, why? By choosing to share our gaze into ourselves, all that we hold, and why we hold things this way, there's our wish to uncover the intersectionality where self-awareness, intentional actualization, and personal accountability meet. And that, friends, is where you have trusted us to take you. With loving energy and immense gratitude, Turn your volume up, and let's get into it. Um, yeah, so this, I think the 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 topic and, and the, the moment and the thing that's kind of, I've been... Babe, you can't just do this and not introduce, <laughs> say hi to the audience. No, I'm going to. Oh, okay. Uh, I was about to say, no, bitch, you rude. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I think... I think one of the most important things I want to share with y'all lately is kind of like what's been on my mind um, in an interesting way. So like... Bitch, if you don't say hi to the people... I'm going to say hi to the no, people. No, you're supposed to say that first. No, you're already I'm not. getting deep in I'm not. Shit. I'm not in deep... Not, they don't even know what we're about to talk about. <laughs> um, say hello to the people. But what's shit. with y'all? Um... Oh wow, what a greeting. <laughs> no, I think I think like in turn in trying to figure out like what and I think that's like where this came in my head. I was trying to figure out like when it came to this how to like open things up. And cuz I always and that's why this topic came up. Like I always I remember when we first started talking about this and I couldn't figure out like what I wanted to say when we like start shit. Like I was like Hey y'all, what's good people? Hey family, like how did I want to address this? Well, bitch, how do you want to address this? Shit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I hate it here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh but I feel like throughout the course of it with we'll, I'll be like trying different things out and figuring out what's like comfortable. But I, I can't like... do this. I'm going to do this. Hey y'all, welcome yeah, to the first episode of shit we never asked for. I don't know what my co-host is doing right now. But they're trying, and that's all we can ask for. We thank you so much for being here. We're both very, very tired, but we're trying to be productive. Ain't well, that's what I was gonna ask. Is like, is this gonna be like, are we gonna roll this out as the first episode, or are we just gonna like record all these and then decide which one we want it to be like our first episode? I mean, I figured between the first couple episodes we record, but either way, whatever we record, we gotta have like we gotta say something about it being our first episode. Well, I know. That's what I'm saying. I just didn't know which one was like going to be the first episode. So I, like, I didn't okay. have a preference. Okay. So I can say this one's the first episode. Yes. I assumed it was because it was the first episode we're recording. I just figured we were going to record them and like backlog them all and then be like released. But you know. <laughs> so take one of this. But you still need an intro even with the ones that you have on backlog. You still need to greet the people. Well, yeah, but I wasn't going like, what's up? Shit we never asked for. We're your hosts. Like, <laughs> We're your hosts. We're your hosts. <laughs> um, okay, then do you? Do we want to... Well, we. I'm just going to keep recording because this is just... Yeah, this energy. would be hilarious. <laughs> um, but no, what's good, y'all? I think I'm really excited about today's topic just because in my head, I've been trying to figure out what would make the most sense. And I'm excited to like actually 
talk about that and like what has made a lot of sense for me lately because as I was figuring shit out it was not it it made no sense whatsoever um so myself and Android today are going to be talking to you all and bringing you all kind of with us through our journeys of coming like full circle and what that really looks like and I feel like that phrase is kind of ambiguous in a lot of ways um and people come up with the with their own meanings and how to like how they associate that in their lives and as myself and Android have been talking this last two or three weeks, just at various points and checking in about various things, it seems like our lives are kind of, and they always kind of have done this, they've rotated in these parallels that when we get together and we talk about things, we're in similar places, we may be doing different things or got to those places in a different way, but we're in similar places in terms of like how we're coming into our own understanding or what we're struggling with or what's really bugging us or something that pissed us off that week. Like they're oftentimes like almost in tandem with each other. And I find that at the inception of this, when Android and I first started talking, we were really, really close. And even though that what connection- we were? Well, like physically, <laughs> like we oh, shared a lot of physical space say, together. I was about to say, nigga, we ain't close now. How we shared, are you? We shared a lot of time together. And then like over the course of like the development of this, it's changed a lot, but that connection hasn't, changed in that way like we still can check in and pick up like we never left off we can still get back together and keep a really similar energy about ourselves and I find that also when we check in even if some time has passed we're still coming into these kind of like parallel themes in our lives like and more recently that's been a really strong theme of like really just being happy with where we're at and like what we're doing and how we're doing things and there was a point where that was not the case and when we started talking about the podcast that was not the case at all it was literally dealing with all the shit we had never asked for, like just thing after thing after thing after thing and not knowing in that moment that this was the other side of it, like that there was a difference. There was going to be a way to feel not that anymore. But at the time, like that temporary discomfort was necessary. And that was that was weird to know then because of what I know now. And I don't know. Had you told me then that this were like where I would have ended up, this is where I would be now, that I would have believed you. And not in the way that it wasn't possible. It's just I was only able to see what I had experienced at that point. And what I had experienced at that point was heartache, like continuous heartache. And that was everything from the pandemic to relationships to family to loss. Like there was so much going on. And so this bleak idea of happiness, it was like, what the hell is whatever like that's not a, it's not that it's not a thing but that's not real for me right now and I was hard pressed to see when that would be the case again and so to be in a place that I am really happy and really accomplished and like have continuously gotten great news has made all that like hard shit kind of not melt and not even seem like it was worth it like I don't need I don't believe you need to go through trauma in order to build character but I do think experience is necessary to inform your own wisdom and oftentimes like that's not going to happen unless you are dealing with some shit good bad or indifferent just unless you decide to live life you're not really ever going to figure out how to okay that didn't work maybe this will work that should have worked out like that maybe next time I can do this better like there's a there's a way to see that but in that moment you don't have those insights and that time just sucks and I've been thinking about that a lot because when you and I reflected on our own happiness currently I thought about the fact that that was not commonplace for us. We would reflect on all the things, but there was a period of time where it seemed like it was just shitty. It was just a really shitty time. Damn, now that I really, 
And that's like, whoa. Think about that in retrospect. It's, it's whoa. This is probably... This is probably the first time that both of us have felt really positive in like two or about three years. something. Ain't that some shit? In like two or three years. Two years. That's that's asinine. Like I was talking about, I think we talked about, I said this to you, but I have been realizing that this year actually feels like a new year. <laughs> right. Because everything that happened in the pandemic and the following year, it just felt like one long ass year. And I know realistically in my head that that is a two year span, mm-hmm. but it didn't feel like it because all of the fuck shit that happened in the pandemic followed up mm-hmm. in the following year. And there was so many times where I know for myself where I thought that I had fit, figured shit out, that I had processed my trauma, that I had... I no longer had to deal with the stuff that I was dealing with. And it was it was still popping up mm-hmm. and rearing its ugly head. And it got to a point where I would say the last two years are probably the worst time of my life. I have never, I have never felt so low. <laughs> mm. When it comes to my self-confidence, when it comes to my uh, identity, when it comes to... My relationships, I was questioning every single thing and it felt like I was completely losing my mind. And if I look at where I'm at now, I just shake my head and I'm like, damn, girl. (laughs) Yeah. You made it. Yeah. Like, Like, you really did make. And at this point in my life now, after the two years... A fuck shit. I'm legitimately happy. Like this is, and this is so sad. This is how this is how I know it was bad. This has been what I think week three. This is what the third week of January. Mm-hmm. I haven't been happy f- in a consistent amount of time like that in two years. Mm-hmm. It's I would have moments where I would be really really great, and then there. Just out of nowhere, my depression and my anxiety would hit and I would feel so low. Mm-hmm. Like there was one time that I was so. Mm, I was just so angry. I was sad. I was hurt. And to a point where even my partner was like, I don't know what I can do to help <laughs> help mm-hmm. you right now. And I was having a conversation with my friend Kumarian because she had went through a lot of things similarly to what I was going through. And what she told me was what sucks is that no one can literally tell you how this is going to be. You have to go through it. And at the time I thought I understood what she meant fully thought I understood what she meant. But now after doing a whole lot of processing, especially towards the end of the year, I get what she meant now. And it goes along with what you said. Like you have to have these experiences to get to the other side. It's just sometimes bitch, can you teach this experience in a different fucking way? I, 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 sometimes I wonder like whether if without the trauma, would I have learned the lesson the same way? And I feel like Yes, and to a degree, some of the trauma, not that it's necessary from other people, but the trauma that ensued or that followed or the things that happened, it was like, that was necessary, so you would never go back. Like, so you would never return to a spot. And for some people, 
that makes sense. And for other people, pain and dysfunction are a continual, like, thing. Like, that's not a, I don't want to return back to this. And it was weird to me. I had to make a choice. And I remember feeling like this doesn't make sense for me to have to make a choice like this. Like, to feel, because at the, the context of the time period, like, I'm, to feel as though everything was okay and to no longer be in a state of feeling like everything is okay in the midst of losing a relationship, stability, housing, losing routines, seeing family, seeing friends, like all of these, this kind of upheaval of my own stability. I didn't realize that in that moment, that end that I thought was there was actually the beginning of something so much deeper. And I didn't, I didn't see the trauma as necessary because I didn't understand like why did it have to hurt like that or why did it have to happen this way like there's a way for this not to have been the case I remember during a therapy session (laughs) I said that exact shit to her and she looked me dead in the eye and she said if it could have happened any other way it would have and when she said that I had to take a step back because what she said was real. If it could have happened any other way, it would have. But there literally was no other way for this to happen. And it sucks and everything so much knowing that. So imperfectly on purpose. Like, there's a... Is there a reason that everything happens or do we give the things reason and meaning and what happens? Like, do we figure out how the series of events in our lives are unfolding and give those things meaning? Or do we believe those things that are happening are the meaning? Like that is the sign that is how, and like to each their own in terms of like how they digest and process what's going on and like how they make sense of it. And I think something that was interesting to me and some of the things I wanted to kind of explore in this conversation are figuring out like, what does it mean to the, to really like come back to return to the beginning and It's something to feel, for me anyway, it's something to feel a familiarity with a place, but to no longer hold feelings about that place. Like, to no longer hold active resentment, active irritation, active angst, active hurt. Like, that, upon returning to a place for me, is like, whoa, I can stand here in the same spot and feel completely different, but I wouldn't have known that was possible at the time. I don't necessarily see it as coming back to something. Um, Because when I hear that type of verbiage, to me, it almost feels like going backwards. For me, it's more so... You're taking the step to just look at everything that happened in order for you to move forward. So you're not going back to it. You're moving past it. I don't think I don't think backwards in the way of like that's just for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not thinking of backwards in the way where it's like momentum. I'm thinking of return in the way where like but even came, but I even came. that like returning like it I, I think because for me 
this is where my thought process is coming from. For me, lad, the last couple of years, I was really doing a deep dive in my own identity and what that looks like. Because for a long time, I was showing up more so how I felt I was expected to show up rather than how I truly wanted to show up and be my most authentic self. And you know me all the time and talk about how we've talked about this, how I said, well, the thing I'm working on right now is figuring out what authenticity looks like for me because I have it, but I, there was a level that like a glass ceiling that I could not break that was going to help me evolve into the being that I wanted to be. So for me, it's not necessarily that I'm returning to any of those things. It's more so, it's just kind of like a retrospect. Like I'm not coming back to that because I'm evolving into something else. But yeah, the evolution is, 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 is the process. I think for me, it's like a return to myself. I think after I had that breakup, after I, I had to let a lot of shit go, I had to really try to come back to myself like what is it that I want what is it that I need and how am I going to move beyond like what this is because right now this isn't me like everything that I had felt everything that I was dealing with I was more irritated with those situations because I had never felt such anger like such animosity <laughs> and that was not me and it was irritating me because it's not that those aren't a part of my being or those aren't real or those aren't human those definitely were, but I had never felt such rage towards a person or a situation in my entire life. And I couldn't for the life of me understand why I wasn't myself. Like why I was not my my happy-go-lucky, like charming, optimistic, like upbeat, just I was not me. And I could not figure it out. And it was like, once I came all the way back to being like, okay, who the fuck is Isaiah actually like? Where are you at? When I when that happened, it was like, okay, I know what I have to do. And it wasn't easy and in no way was it clear, but there were these moments along the way of like almost overt clarity. Like it was very specific what was going to happen for me. And so it was like this full circle, it's like I can stand where I've been, but not feel what I felt. And that's mm. that's yeah. different for me. And it's like I remember, and I feel this all the time. I went to the Apollo. We're standing in front of the Apollo. And for those who don't know what the Apollo is, you need to look it up because it's one of the most amazing artifacts in history. The Apollo is this theater in Harlem. And this was a black epicenter, if you will, when folks weren't allowed to be doing comedy on stage, when folks weren't allowed to do this, that, or the other thing. Some people got their shot at the Apollo. And I remember the first time I walked by feeling this like, nostalgia my body felt like it had been there before but I had this my first time experiencing that and it was weird to stand where other people had stood not knowing any of their stories but understanding we all stood in the same spot we all stood they didn't move that theater it has not gone anywhere we were all standing in the same place and so to see what it is today but to know what it was at the time and to know what it continues to be it was like whoa and so coming back and like standing where I've stood or passing buildings that I've passed, eating at restaurants that I've eaten at, where I've shared memories with people that have hurt me. Or I've been in places that I felt hurt or hurt has happened. I've no longer reduced those things to those moments, but allowed life to continue and understanding I had those moments and those were also good. I did have good moments too. And those are like no longer a part of my present. It's, it's wild to see like the difference in my mindset versus like it was never going to get better. Like it was never going to get better and I was never going to find a way out of that.
when you put it that way and use that example, what you're saying makes sense to me now. Like what it's what you're saying makes sense to me now when you say returning back to that spot because listening to you put it, say it in that way what it makes me think of is how i was talking about me returning back to community because mm-hmm. that same type of rage that same type of anger all that stuff i've that's what i felt that was which is to which me. is why i left community and it's weird when like that was your solace right like when and you, yeah when it provides something and i think that's the thing that pissed me off the most my relationship didn't irritate me that it ended it didn't irritate me that it, it, it if it, if you're not meant to work out with somebody that that didn't that that wasn't what bugged me what bugged me was not only how it ended but the fact that this was my home this is my fortitude my foundation my my safety and when that was gone not only was my safety and my security no longer what I thought it was I was lied to about the condition I thought it was in I thought we had built something that made sense to me what they had thought and what was working out for them was not the same thing. And that's where, like, I was, I had never expected to feel that in a place that I had called home. And I think it's interesting when we talk about, like, return to community and that whole feeling. Because it's like, no, it makes sense why it felt like it was hard to come back to community if there was a sense of betrayal. If there was a sense of, where were y'all at? Who had my back? Like, what, what the hell? Like, there's a moment where it's like when balls get dropped and people don't do what they're supposed to do or no one checked in or no one said anything, there's moments where it's like, how do you know it's safe to re-engage this space? How do you know it's safe to not feel like your defenses have to be up when originally they weren't? I didn't have any reason to be guarded because I didn't believe this is a place to be guarded in. They were all down. And so that hurt. To feel, to all of a sudden feel unsafe in a space where you found peace of mind and you created your own safety like that fucks with you so much like that betrayal there's nothing there's nothing like that like you can't because mentally now and it was funny my grandma was talking to um my partner about this and she was like when you go through something like that the thing that is hard about it it's not that this could happen again it's that somebody scares you into not wanting to be yourself Like there's moments where you didn't do anything but be you and you in this moment is feeling like that's being penalized. And now you wonder if it was something that you did and when there are no answers or it's unclear. And we talked about this. We we had to learn to be comfortable with becoming our own closure. And at that time, that is the most unsettling thing you can hear. How am I supposed to be my end be my closing be my Mm. my to this thing that I didn't start by myself like I didn't do y'all ever have class and like you're the one person that did all the work but three other people got to put their name on it like (laughs) I didn't I didn't start this with the idea with these three people trying to just be the one that did everything but now I'm having to end this with with just me there were two of us when this started And it's interesting when people say when like things end, whether that's a relationship, a friendship, uh, a contract, like if it doesn't end well, you hear people start to like renege or renegotiate how they felt or the entire time they felt something different or it was just that and the other thing. And it was like, wait, I didn't force any of the happiness that existed either. Like in the same breath that there was unhappiness, I didn't force the happiness either. Like, there has to be accountability on both ends to talk about what was really important. And so for me, I didn't know how to hold myself accountable to my individuality in a relationship. 
And I had to figure out coming full circle, like what that looked like. And I also had to figure out what that process looked like. And for me, that had a lot to do with letting things go. And that was something that people say, like people will say, like, let it go. No one ever shows you how to do that. Like no one's ever taught you how to let something go. I mean, I don't, I feel like it, it's almost hard to teach somebody that though, because certain things are a lot easier to let go than others. Well, and that's like, <laughs> that's person by person, but it's like a strategy or a tool. Like nobody, I just found out and who, and you and I kind of talked about this and it was funny because as you said it, I was realizing like how, what role anxiety plays in my life. And for me, like I was diagnosed with major depression, but I definitely have more situational depression. Like if my current life situation is just really shitty, it'll show up in my body. I will feel really just down about it. And usually I just like sleep a lot or I kind of recluse and keep to myself. And I figured out with anxiety, a way for me to manage it is planning. A way for me to manage it is reading. And so like when it comes to letting things go, no one shows you in your body how to like let something go. Like the tenseness when you talk about something, mm -hmm. the elevation in your feet, the tenseness in your hands, in your shoulders, in your face, like all of these things, you're holding something. And so like the idea of letting go, what does that actually look like? And for me, oftentimes that looks like naming something and like writing, like literally actually writing it down, whether I typed it out or wrote it out. And oftentimes like, I feel like writing now is a lost art, but writing it out pushes me to really investigate like those practices and really investigate how I want to hold myself accountable to doing the work that I wanted to be happier. And I found that as happy as I am, it's come with a lot of like reflection, but it's also come with like a lot of affirmations and a lot of understanding that letting go looks like choosing peace in its place in a different way. So letting go could look like a boundary. Letting go could look like eating healthy. Letting go could look like me physically. And these are all like active forms of like self-love, but letting go could look like refusing to beat myself up for things that are human. Like there's, there's, there was these ways in which I didn't realize I held stress and tension in my body toward myself. And so it was like, okay, so to move on or to let go, I have to like actually in effect, like forgive myself and not in like a biblical sense, but in a, in a spiritual sense in an emotional sense, like in a human sense, almost like you're human, <laughs> you're going to fuck up and things are fucked up that happen to you sometimes. Yeah. What I've learned in the last couple of years is that it's important to let go because When you hold on to that anger, when you hold on to the trauma, when you hold on to the sadness, when you hold on to any of those negative emotions, mm -hmm. that shit becomes a, what's it called? Um, ball and chain. Mm -hmm. It becomes a ball and chain. And you start, you can either start projecting that onto other people. It starts showing up in how you interact with folks, how you interact with yourself. It affects how you maneuver the world and whether or not you're taking care of yourself the way that you're supposed to be. And I know for me, last year there was a point where I hit I hit my lowest. I didn't feel talented. I felt didn't feel accomplished. I felt so ugly. And these were things that I and I recognize these feelings because I would say 
four or five years, maybe a little bit longer, I had a similar breakdown like this. And that first breakdown was when I realized that I did have, going to the doctor, I was like, oh, I have clinical depression. I, from the outside looking in, you think my life is great. I got my shit together. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, like even my parents were like, why do you feel this way? And I'd be like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I genuinely don't know. Because even I would look at, I'm doing everything right. This is this is what success looks like. So I like, should be satisfied. Yeah, I was like, why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel, why am I having suicidal thoughts? The thought of actually ending my own life, the one thing that kept me from doing that is that I was like, I don't want that to be my legacy. <laughs> I don't want to be remembered for taking my life. I want to be remembered for the work that I do. The other thing that kept me from doing that is I don't want the last thought that my mother has of me is my suicide mm-hmm. or my father and my family. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. What I realize it is when you don't let go of those things that you can't move forward and you can't evolve and you cannot. The only way I can put it is happiness is a choice. Mm-hmm. Happiness is a choice and you have to make that choice. And sometimes that shit is so hard to do. And when we're talking about choosing happiness, it goes along the lines of what you're thinking about. You have to figure out those things that make you feel good. You have to figure out those things that are self-care. And when we're talking about like self-care, it's not just a matter of you taking a bubble bath or getting a pedicure. Yes, those things can be a part of it, but it's a lot deeper. It's you actually taking the time to check in with yourself and be real and say, are you good? Is there anything that you need to process? Is there anything that you need to talk about with yourself, with people, with a therapist? And you really have to be real with yourself. And I think a lot of times we don't like doing that because then that means that we have to take a deep dive within ourselves. And there might be a chance, more than likely, that we don't like what we see. But in order to move forward, you have to look at that part of yourself. You have to look at your shadow self. You have to look at that part that you try to hide. And you have to do the work to accept that part of yourself. You have to do it. I'm a witch. That's why shadow work is so important. Google it. We'll have an episode on it later. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's so important to do that work because that's the only way you can move forward. Holding on to that anger... Um, that I had for the last couple of years, when I was finally able to let that go, in retrospect, I said, damn, I have missed so much mm-hmm. because I just stayed angry. I just stayed angry. And on t- what I also realized, I was like, I'm sitting here mad, but I'm not telling anybody that I'm mad. So I can't be upset that nobody is <laughs> coming to my aid right now. Mm-hmm. And for me, I know that there was some situations in community where folks are being put on pedestals and they were being abusive. And it was making me so angry because the individual that was doing it, folks had started being warned about their behavior. Um, And eventually there was a pattern of these things happening. And what escalated the emotions for me was, 
I was a victim of that behavior. <laughs> so it intensified my anger even more. And for me, it's like, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to like, like, look like a bitter bitch <laughs> when that's not the case. But I got angry because I found out other people were saying things. And when it was supposedly dealt with, it was more like a tap on the hand, like, don't you do that. And eventually it escalated to a point where it got way too extreme. And what, what I appreciate is when it did reach that extreme and I finally got the courage and the strength to reach out to community, they were fully like, yes, we got you. We want to help you. You want to make me feel safe. And in the same breath, even some of the folks that um, I was working with fully said to me, you know, we thought we handled it. It was a misstep. We could have did it better. So now we're going to make sure we make this right so this doesn't happen again. And in doing that, I realized, okay, you've asked for aid. You were given aid. Folks have been there for you the way you want them to. You have a support system. You got to let that shit go now, babe. You can't sit here and be angry. You got to let the shit go. And even after the situation was handled, I still had that anger. Mm -hmm. I still had it. But why though? Why am I holding on to this? this? It doesn't feel good. It does not feel good. Especially because what I realized was I think it was important for me to leave because I need to process my emotions and my feelings because I know how I am. And what I don't want to do is to project that onto other people because I don't want to say something or do something that I can't take back or hurt somebody that I care about all because I'm in my emotions. And you know that about me. <laughs> I need to be by myself for a little bit. I didn't think that I would have to be by myself for two fucking years, but <laughs> it was what was required, I guess, for me to reach where I'm at now when it comes to my mental state and my spirituality and my entire being. <laughs> it's so wild to think about like a year ago because that phrase, and it's funny, my partner will hear me say this all this time. Numbers and like time is important to me. It's not important in any way for me to be on time, but it's important. Bitch. <laughs> like, time is important to me. Not important and, for me to be on time. This is why I curse you out. <laughs> and, right. And it's not, and for anybody who knows me, I'm probably mostly notoriously late to a lot of things. And so, and like on time to others, obviously. But like, there's definitely... Time is a construct in my mind and the idea of like this time last year, this frame of reference or this point, I would I used to say it to my partner, I used to irritate the hell out of her because she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it used to be, she thought it was a point of comparison. And for me, no, for me, it's a it's an evolutionary point. Like I'm able to pinpoint this time last year, I remember feeling like shit. And it's wild because this time last year, that's not true anymore. This time last year, I was insanely happy. This time last year, me and I had just moved to LA completely. We were, it was, it's January. So she's trying a whole bunch of hairstyles. I had just braided her hair up for the first time. There was so much pride in that. Like there's been evolution. There's a lot of learning I've done about myself. And I feel like the way I learned those lessons, it didn't come 
from me trying to learn something. A lot of people talk about self-work in a way where it's like, you're not going to go out to like a Barnes and Noble because you all know what that is. And people go to bookstores still and like buy a a whole bunch of self-help books and you're going to figure out shit about your life. Like, no. (laughs) Like there's an active investigation process and it doesn't exactly happen that way either. It's more like... I think when it comes to things like that, the book gives you tools, but how you use those tools is determines how effective what you just read is going to be for your life. Because you can't just read a book and it's, oh, that's all it is? I'm like, no, no, no. There's there's application, bitch. You you have to apply this to what you're doing. That's yeah. how growth happens. There's application. And I guess in, for me, I think the theory of that application is what stops people. There's something put in our heads about learning where it's this this tedious or hard or fucked up thing or this thing we have to be really good at otherwise it's not worth investing in and I feel like when it comes to learning yourself there's a method to your own madness there's a method to why you do what you do and you have to understand that and investigate that as an awareness and I felt like for myself and this is one of the things I've realized more recently that I struggled with a lot historically just because I've had access to education and access to activism and access to community and conversations and awareness in a way that has informed how I think and how I move, that doesn't mean that I'm incapable of harm. And I feel like that that sentiment has has really fucked with my head because when I did hurt somebody, I thought, how could I do that? Like, why would I Why would I do something that would bring somebody else harm, regardless of whether or not it was my intention? And I had to learn that my humanness is allowed to exist just as much as my, my education and my no better is. Bitch, like, ain't um, that it? That, like, and, and I can't control that, and I can't dictate my humanness on, on, on levels of perfection. Like, this is something my dad told me. He said, I'm a man of promise, and in that promise, I have to realize there's power and strength in realizing and saying to somebody, you're right, I can work on that. Or I didn't think about it that way. I'll, I'll, I'll take steps to do better next time. Like there's, that humility is so hard and those seem like just words, but that is so hard to say to somebody in that moment if you are wrong and you indeed have caused harm. Because now in your mind, you may not want to admit that. Knowing what you know about yourself, you may think you shouldn't have been the one to do that or you couldn't have been the one to do that. And I find that no matter how much I know, I can still hurt somebody's feelings. No matter how much I know, I can still say something that is probably not the nicest or the most correct or the most considerate thing. Like that, there's that humanness, that human nature element, that part of it, and that doesn't say anything about me as a person. That just means that I have learning to do in a lot of areas and those human things are okay. I recently learned I was okay to be angry, to be really fucking angry and that that anger doesn't displace any of my gentleman-like qualities. That anger doesn't displace me being a family man. That anger doesn't displace those things that people say have to be opposite. If I'm angry, I can't be a family man. It doesn't define you. If and I'm I think- angry, I can't. This. If I'm angry, I must act like this. If I'm angry, I'm that stereotypical guy and all these tropes and all these things. And it's like giving yourself the ability and the space to breathe from all of that and really like come outside of those tropes and into your own. And I feel like that's been a lot of like the, what the last couple of years has been. A lot of this like, if I were to describe it, like the shaping and restructuring of, of self and how to really interact with myself on a really intentional way. And 
sometimes that looks like really saying, nigga, you done fucked up. Like, that was, why did you do that? <laughs> like, what about that was smart? Or no, nigga, you did that. Like, that was amazing. <laughs> you need to do more of that. Like, whatever that was, uh, fuck that shit all the way up and do it again. Like, yeah. that made you feel happy. That made you excited. That brought out a glint in your eye. There's glimmer. There's there's life in there. Like, be alive. And we were talking about this with um, my house family the other day, this idea that, People will have worked their whole lives and never lived a day. Like there's these these moments where you have to figure out, and this is one of the things I'm trying to figure out with my own partner, and it's really cute to see our like our process of investigation together. But like informing ourselves about what brings us happiness and making ourselves accountable to the other by holding ourselves individually responsible for our own happinesses. Yeah, I. I and, it's nobody's and, responsibility right. to make you. We're, happy. we're not doing none That's of that shit. That's why I said happiness no is a choice. Like, don't nobody owe you shit. Nothing, and don't and put that it, pressure on nobody else. Going back, like what you're saying, remembering that you're human, you really have to learn the skill to forgive yourself mm-hmm. and allow yourself to fuck it up. It's such a practice. It and it's and there's there. I don't think there will ever be a time that you'll be able to master it. Because there will always be some new shit that pops up. I'm attempting. Right? You'll think you'll have to figure it out, but then some shit will happen. You'll be like, oh, this is some new shit. I got to figure out how to process this one. But it's, you have to make sure that you have the intention to do that, though. You And it, it's it's hard. Perfection is a myth and trying to be perfect all the time. Because there was a point where that was me. I got to be perfect. I got to be polished. I got to be these things. I felt... I felt bad for being angry and feeling the things. And I, like you were saying, you you shouldn't feel bad for feeling the way that you feel. Your emotions are real. Mm-hmm. And you need to acknowledge them. Mm-hmm. You can't let them hold you down, though. At some point, you need to process whatever is making you angry and you need to start working on letting it go. No, I think I feel like that 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 piece of perfection. I've I've sat with that, like I've. It's dehumanizing. I've watched. It was <laughs> it was wild. I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie. Um, fuck, and now y'all are never gonna see it because I don't remember the name of it. And when it comes to me, I'll let you guys know. But the the premise of the movie essentially is that he's he's married with a wife. He's gonna he produces a radio show. He's gonna go home um and surprise his wife for her birthday with a cake and um his boss leaves early he's like I gotta get out of here blah blah blah. he's like okay cool and he tells him have fun I'm celebrating the missus's birthday blah blah blah. he gets home to walk in on his fucking boss fucking his wife what movie is this (laughs) literally and I kid you not this is the first like three or four minutes of the movie like and it's and it's in oh. the premise of the movie it was wild because it was it wasn't my life but it was my life like i could relate to the series of unfortunate events that were happening for him so he's he's moving through this right he's he's now like and it's crazy cuz he watches them they're like fucking he's like watching this and he's like cuz originally he walks in the house and can't find his wife and he's like what the fuck like so he goes to the bedroom like, honey, are you okay? Like, are you in here type thing? He's holding the, the 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 cake. I think he's holding a cake. Or maybe he put it down on the dining table. He sits down and he doesn't say anything for a second because he's, he's like, 
the word gobsmack comes to my head. Like he's like just completely pla- he can't. Th- this is happening in front of him, right? Like his wife, his boss, just like he's like, what oh the God. hell? <laughs> Not the class. And he's like. <laughs> And his face, so then when he asks a question, they freak out. They're like, oh, my God, blah, 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 and, and then it goes to them. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he's done, right? He's, he's beside himself. He can't do this. He then gets news that, and this is how his story even, like, means anything. He gets news that his dad passes away. So he has to go to his family's house. And they're not, and it's funny because I don't think their family is Jewish, but they had to do this Jewish tradition and they're both, they're all irritated. They're like, we're all not Jewish. Why are we doing this? But it's because it's like their mom believes in this, in this tradition. So they have to be with each other for five days. And they're essentially, it's this mourning that they're all supposed to be in. And they're around each other as siblings. And each of the siblings has a different story as to their connection with the other. But his connection with his sister is really interesting to me. And they're sharing this moment on the roof like they did as kids. And he's sitting there recounting like this feeling. He's like, I did everything right. Right? He's asking her, like, I did everything right. I I went to school. I married the wife. I wanted to have the kids. Like, I, I, I did everything right. And this still happened to me. How am I supposed to move on? Like, how am I supposed to make life make sense? Like, make it make sense. And she told him. Just because you played it safe, no matter which way this shook out, it was going to shake out exactly this way. Mm-hmm. Whether or not she was who you were supposed to be with, whether or not you led a life safely or you didn't, that's neither here nor there. In this moment, understand whether you played it safe or you lived completely on the edge. The decisions that were made, the things that are supposed to happen, the stuff that is supposed to unfold is going to unfold regardless. And it was this moment for me where it was like, whoa. I can't proof the world to myself and I can't I can't use perfection or control of a situation and I feel like that's a lot of what it is liking I like to have control over situations not because I want to control the situation but because I want to minimize the ability for me to become misunderstood and I feel like that's real. when that happens it's when I become misunderstood my anxiety becomes, it gets too high. And so I try to limit that by uh, over-explaining or having conversations that people don't want to have or don't need to have. And in that moment, I feel I need to have it because I don't want to be misunderstood instead of just saying, oh, okay, I can see how like that may have been yeah. offensive. I can move on from that. And not making it this whole thing. Like feeling like I shouldn't have done that because I knew better because I've been educated because like, no, I'm human and I messed up. Like, yeah, because it goes back <laughs> to like, like what you said, you don't you don't want people to think that you that that is part of your character, right? It's you, not, don't, you don't you don't want, want to it to be that. a especially reflection when, on especially you, especially when you work so right. hard to to be that positive person, right. to, be to be that be, support system, right? And to be non problematic. Yeah, so then when you're and, problematic, it's like ooh, yes, fuck. And I think you, it's really important to give yourself that grace. Oh, I love that word. You have to give yourself that grace. Mm-hmm. Um, grace and is I space. also think I also think other people have to give you that grace too because you can genuinely tell when somebody is speaking from a place of not knowing or on um it's not a willful ignorance it's not a willful it's ignorance. like oh shit i really just didn't know yeah, like it was it's ignorant more, it's like, as this fuck. is literally it's conditioning like uh-huh. this is just this was no for i us, had no this idea was normal i and i guess i'm finding out right now that it's it's not normal and mm-hmm. it's a problem and that's very real um but i think it's also important for 
loved ones to also give you grace as well right and allow you to fuck up because for the most part when somebody really knows you and knows your character you can tell when a bitch is being like we said just doesn't know mm-hmm. and when a bitch is being intentionally just maliceful right. is that a word <laughs> Malice filled, malicious. There you go. Malicious. That's what mm-hmm. it is. Not maliceful. You can tell when somebody's trying to be an asshole and be a dick. It's, On purpose. It's fully in everything. Uh huh. Yeah. And I think that's where, like, I think other people's patience, I feel like we've also been. It's, society is so weird right now in this way where everybody wants to be politically correct, but nobody's like politically correctly inclined to like actually understand what any of those words mean. And we get into this, like, it feels like people are like, okay, I'm not going to say this, but I don't want it because I don't want to be offensive. But do you know why it's important for you to? Do you know why it's offensive? Yes. Like, do, do you, you understand why, why it's offensive? Do you understand why you need to verbalize or uh, the actions you need to take right. need to be a certain way because of A, B, and C? Do you understand that? Are you doing it just to get through? Or are you doing it because you genuinely care yeah. and want to grow as a person? Right. There's moments where it's like, okay. And I feel like because Seattle has a lot of pacifying culture when it comes to a lot of things, <laughs> it's very hard and very difficult to have some of those honest conversations because I've learned that this idea, this idea of leveling up and meeting people where they're at, for me, I understand in certain contexts, like folks haven't had access to being able to talk about things in a way that's like informed or in a way that's like non-harmful or non-problematic or non-toxic. Like these are... Because those things, because toxicity and harm and, and and the overall like fuckery is just ingrained in our culture. It's like you, some folks have not been able to communicate in a way that's like not fucked up, which is fine. Like sometimes the only way to get it out is to get it out. And I feel like there does have to be that grace on all ends, like on the end of folks that are informed and are educated. You need to be patient with people that are not informed and are not educated because the only way they're going to figure that out is by asking those questions. And oftentimes, like, the way that we were brought up when it comes to asking questions is very punitive. It is very, you didn't know that, why wouldn't you? And it's like, if I did know it, I wouldn't ask, if I did know it, I wouldn't have asked the question. Like, I wouldn't have wanted to investigate. I wouldn't have wanted to to seek out. And also, like, on that level of information seeking, it's like, who is this for? And I've really learned to figure out what the fuck and who the fuck things are for when I do talk about things or when I do go to give energy or invest time into something that if there is really no reciprocity, who is this for? Like, if there is no give back, if nothing is being poured into my cup, that what is this for? Like, I sure, because I sure was no. just about to, <laughs> I sure was just about to say, um, everything you're saying is important. But also, you have to be self-aware to know when a bitch is unteachable mm-hmm. and when to move forward. And not everybody's your project. <laughs> Stop trying to teach everybody some fucking shit. Like, there's a, and this is what happens when folks either start transitioning, folks lose weight, folks learn a new skill, fo- whatever the fuck happens. People then think that, like, they've become the authority on it. And now because they're the authority on it or their experience has been had, now they want to talk to everybody about it. And it's it's great, right? For the in the beginning, up until you have the thirtieth, fortieth, fiftieth nigga to come ask you a question that you no longer want to answer because not everybody is entitled to your story. You do not have to disclose or share every single little detail about your life. Those are gifts, and I feel like we've we've come into this 
this this thing where people think that because they have education now their job is educator and I have to educate 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 and like they don't they can't turn it the fuck off like you don't have to educate all the time and you have to know when somebody is needing education and when somebody needs you to just talk to them when somebody needs you to just say something to them but there are other people I think it's also important to know when not to say shit at all. Yeah, and some people because sometimes I'm like you that that labor and that energy, you don't have to do that. (laughs) You don't have to if you feel the need, and you feel like you can get through. Cool, but don't you don't feel obligated to have to do that. Yeah, turn it off. Like turn those pieces and anybody who is an an educator, an activist, an artist. Uh, a an teacher, artist, an artist, art, and art, art is activism. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Like anybody who's ever, anybody who's in any position to to be leading or be be in power or having agency towards decision and decision making, it is not your job to continuously educate people from a standpoint of education. And don't use education as your deflection method either. People use education as manipulation, and 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 getting folks out of how they feel or getting folks not to say things or using words like gaslighting and not knowing what it means using using words like partnership not knowing what it means but using that goes these, back all to this what, buzzword crap yeah but like, that goes back to application mm-hmm. like you can at least i i think i can do it i think you're good at doing it when you really do self-work and you really do apply the things and the tools that you've been taught in order to for self-preservation you can clock when somebody genuinely knows what they're talking about and it's based off based off examples of how they have applied it. It's not just them saying something that you can literally Google. Because I have certain, like what you're talking about and I know who you're talking about. You see things like that and it's like, you're saying these words and these are buzzwords and these are words that are going to make you sound like you know what you're talking you about. You sound educated. And, um, but apply the theory. Yeah. What? How? How? What is the application? Because that's what's missing. What? I'm like, we know what this is. Because because certain things, I'm like, that's common knowledge. That's common knowledge. You could Google the it. application. That is something that is different for every individual. And that's what's wild, though, and the preparation, the execution of those behaviors. And what what I think has helped me is understanding that behaviors are learned just as much as they're taught. And I feel like falling victim to your past and blaming your past for the reason that you act and do and all this shit now it's a scapegoat and it's it's weird to me to think that like the allowance of future tenses and definitions that are so absolute like don't sit here and tell me that you're going to be like this forever because of some past experience that you had way back when and that past experience from way back when is trauma that you don't believe that you have that is in fact like dictating your current behaviors and that's what's wild to me is like putting those pieces together you won't be able to until you admit there's something wrong with the way I feel right now and not that the way that you feel is wrong but the way that I feel is not comfortable how would this become comfortable like what is it going to take for me to live comfortably in my skin your feeling is real but it just doesn't feel good to feel it (laughs) like that's literally what it is that discomfort is happening on purpose like it's happening to get it the fuck out of your body like to get that away from you 
And but you have to. It goes back to that self awareness, though. You have mm-hmm. to be able to recognize that and actively engage with it in order to fix the problem. And how do you I, how do you recognize how does self awareness happen? How are you able to recognize things in your body? Are you asking me? Just in personal? general, like as a process. But like for you personally, yes, because your experiences are informed by your existence. <laughs> so yes, you personally. Um. Damn, you would ask me a deep ass question when I'm sleepy as shit. Uh, <laughs> I guess I would say for me, actively taking a step back from everything mm-hmm. and being with yeah. self and setting boundaries for myself. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we hear people talk about boundaries, I think a lot of the, most of the, if, Excuse me. Uh, oh my God, I'm so tired. Let me start <laughs> over. A lot of times we talk about boundaries. It seems like most people assume that what you're talking about is boundaries that you have to set for other people. Mm-hmm. But you don't hear people talk a whole lot about boundaries that they have to set for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's important to set those boundaries in order to maintain your peace. Mm-hmm. As I'm talking through this now, I think I have an answer for you. For me, it's... I recognize that when I feel like my peace is starting to be fucked with. Mm. When my peace of mind is starting to deteriorate or... Did I say that right? Deteriorate? Yeah. You, uh, you know what you said. Y'all, y'all, heard y'all know what said. I said. Y'all, y'all shit. Know they heard I'm sleepy. Kiss when my they ass. Said it. Um, <laughs> but if a situation, a person, if something really does start to mess with my peace of mind... That's when I know I need to take a step back and I really need to look at self and look at my surroundings and my environment and try to figure out what are the things that are causing me to feel this way and how do I need to change how I engage with those things, whether it's to completely disengage from them all the way or if it's more so, okay, I just got to set boundaries with myself. I can still be in this environment, but I can't be in this environment the way that I usually am because when I am when I'm doing it the way that I'm doing it right now, it's starting to fuck with me. And I I can't do that. I cannot do that. And I would say that the way I learned that is (laughs) going back to what we were full circle moment, what we were talking about is when I had my first breakdown four or five years ago, Mm -hmm. like having, when you hit that low, you have nowhere else to go, but up. Right. And when you hit that low, you're forced to look at it. I know for me personally, when it comes to my own depression and um, my anxiety, the reason why I'm able to overcome it is because I look at it as an inconvenience and a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Bitch, I do not have time to be fucking miserable. Mm-hmm. And... On top of that, one of the things that I value a lot is time. Mm-hmm. So if I'm being sad, if depression is hit, kicking me in my ass, mm-hmm. anxiety is chopping me in my throat, bitch, I want to fight because that thing is keeping, it's, to me, it's taking time away from the things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. 
It's taking time away from my happiness. It's taking time away from my productivity. It's taking time away from everything. And it goes back to what I said. Happiness is a choice. I am choosing to look at these things, figure out why I feel this way, process whatever I need to process, and then implement whatever I need to do in order to move forward because I'm not fucking staying here. I'm not. Mm -hmm. You can't. And I feel like that that makes sense for every person there's a level whether it's in like hearing what android has said or hearing anything that like i've mentioned there's a level where you find a process that works for yourself whether that's like understanding your values and like for android that's around time so making sure that the way that you check and like keep your accountability about yourself when you do hit a slump or a rock or a hard spot it's like okay how am i going to bring myself to snap out of things like for me that means i literally have to take a shower and i have to write 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 until I can't keep writing about whatever this is anymore. And not in a way where like, it's too painful, it's too much. I have to write until I've gotten it all out of my body, until it's somewhere else, not in my head. Because if not, I'm going to keep thinking about it, whatever the fuck it is. It could be thinking about building a building and I'm thinking about 600 different ways to build the building. Until I get it out, it's not going anywhere and it will keep me awake. Like it will force me into just trying to do something about it, trying to come up with a way to get it to get it out and I feel like in building practices of self-awareness like understanding how you hold stress how you hold anger how you hold tension and where you find happiness and where you find space and like relief are all really important in terms of like how you inform your own self-care like quote-unquote emergency plan if there was a, a, a you have like your daily routine and your daily plan, but if there's a, you get into a situation, you get into a moment, or you get into a panic, you get into this, this thing where you need to figure out how to ground yourself, having self-awareness about yourself and the ways in which, why you move the way you move, how you're doing that, why you feel certain things, why this feeling comes up if this thing happens, why this smell makes this, this thing feel this way, why you feel comfort, why you feel happiness, why you feel angst, like all of those things. Having that plan for yourself will help inform not only how you want to be treated by other people, but what you allow yourself to encounter, what you allow your energy to be around. Like those things, you will become very specific almost. Like it'll be this thing where it's like, no, I choose not to engage in that. Like I really would rather not hang out with this group of people because this is just drains my energy for no reason other than to drain it. Like I don't get anything from this. This is not, and it's not self-serving in the way where it's like, you're being self-righteous, but you're self-serving in the way where you have to begin to pour into people that are pouring into you. Stop making the first phone call. Stop texting first and see how often you are reached out to. Like those things are important because you begin to realize what things need to be let go and when and how and where as opposed to making yourself available and accessible to too many people for too many things to appear like this person when like in actuality, the only person you need to be and appear to is like you and oftentimes we don't some of us don't realize how bad we are at showing up for ourselves it's important for you to show up for yourself because there are going to be times that no one else can show ain't nobody else gonna do it for you yeah there are gonna be times where no one else is going to be able to and it's really when those times happen it is very important for you to not to take that shit personal Mm. it's so yes sometimes You have to understand that, oh God, this just makes me think of a past relationship. 
I'll go ahead and just use this as an example. Um, during the pandemic, I was in a relationship and it's not my current relationship now. And during that time, there were things that my partner really, really wanted from me. And I wanted to be able to give those things to them so bad. But I can't. And the reason why I'm telling this story is because we ended up having a conversation and I had to explain to them the difference between want and can't. I want to be, I want to give you what you are asking me for so bad right now. And it breaks my heart that I can't do it. And I can fully acknowledge that it's not fair that you're not able to get those things from me. However, I am dealing with my own shit and I have to, I, I refuse. And I say this to everybody. I will never prioritize somebody over myself. You can't. I will never prioritize somebody over myself. Because if I do that, eventually I'm not even going to be able to show up for you the way that you need me to. So I'm fully acknowledging that I can't and understand. It's not that I don't want to. I cannot do it. I cannot push myself further than I already am. Because if I do, I'm going to, I'm going to be in the fucking sunken place. And it's going to be bad for me and it's going to be bad for you. And I don't want to put that on you. Or in all, our emotional well-being should never be at the cost of somebody else's mental health. Like in relationships, people have to figure out that line and that boundary very, very clearly of like, how am I asking my partner to show up for me? And what are the ways I'm showing up for myself? And also like my partner can't be my everything. And in COVID, that is very, even, very, very fucking even. hard in terms of like, the physical space you share, there's a lot. But like your partner cannot be your everything in the sense that if they're managing or figuring or helping or or they can support. I can help I can say, yes, babe, I would I would love for you to do that if you ask me this, that, and the other thing. But I'm gonna take but it a step for, farther. That, it's not to me, it's not even just partners. Any kind of relationship, you can't do that. Well, real shit. Any like any kind of relationship. I feel like the most practiced place though is like and the most prominent place you can see that take place in like very visibly is partnership. Like that it's obvious in a relationship like that. I feel like when it comes to friendships or like work relationships, it's less obvious because we to pacify me it's, those it's things. Relate it's romantic relationships, uh -huh. but also family. Uh-huh. those are the two those where are the closest. Yeah, there's like you there's an there's a, a pressure of obligation that you have to do these things, even when you are at your worst. And I'm like, no, that's not how that should fucking be. What the fuck are you talking about right mm -hmm. now? The other side of that coin, though, too, is to understand that not everybody has the tools to support you the way that you need to be supported. And you can't make somebody feel guilty for that. You can't make somebody feel bad for that. You also need to be... You need to do your due diligence in looking at your relationships, whether it's romantic, platonic, friendships, family, whatever. You have to make sure that you take an examine those things and recognize whether or not this person can give you what you want. And if they can't give you what you want, that's okay. It doesn't mean that you don't ha you can't have a relationship with them. It doesn't mean that you have to completely cut them off or like I said you you don't need to make them feel bad. There's you can either you can try to do the labor and say, "Hey, this is what I need in a friendship. 
These are, this is how I would like from you to show up for me. And if they can't show up for you, you know, you go from there. Or you do your due diligence and you find friends, family, whatever, who can provide that for you. And still hold on to that relationship where they can't. Because it's every relationship, you're not going to get everything that you need. You're not. You're not. I think there's what's important is that you need to make... Um, there's some key factors for you that you need in your relationship that you need to establish with whoever it is. It's kind of like a checklist. In order for me to have to have a successful friendship, relationship, whatever the fuck it is, the dynamic is, I would like for these, this person to show up in, I don't know, just throwing out a number. In, I have five things. As long as they can show up for me and like three of them, three, four, we're good. But anything below three, it probably won't work. That and that's just me spitballing numbers. It's that's not a realistic thing, but I'm just trying to use some shit as an example. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like there has to be accountability to that process and like what you will and will not tolerate and like what you will and won't allow your peace to be disrupted by cuz I feel like if I'm going to be if I'm going to be somebody who's going to invite other folks into my space or other energies into my area, it's because I trust that the energy is going to provide something for the space that is necessary and it's needed but if you're going to be in a space and that space or that energy is disruptive to my space and my energy it's like okay we'll wait i have to reassess like that and that's what's interesting is in the last year i've done a lot of like building space and recently there's been a couple people who have reached out that uh that there was space created with um and right now it's been it's it's a question whether or not I want to engage back. Um, and so it's something about my own process that I've had to like really investigate and really figure out. So stay tuned for that. But I can't wait to hit stop on this record button so you can tell me who we're talking about. Right. <laughs> but Ooh, I love tea. <laughs> but you know, y'all, that that uh that brings us to our to our episode. I feel like if anything brings us um, to our episode. Our babe. episode closed, yeah. <laughs> um the the, the the way that um I wanna I wanna leave you all is just with the with the with an intention um and with with a note. Um that I think had somebody like told me I would have, I would have taken things um, a little differently. And it was just like, as, as I went through my own process, I was like, damn, okay. Um, there's an element of like taking things personally um, that we talked about in this podcast that people feel that it was about them, about them, about them, about them, the situations about them, about them, about them. And it's like, no, in this moment, if you thought for a second, maybe it has something to do with something outside of you or in this moment, Maybe you're taking the situation a little too seriously. Um, there's a way to understand that while, yes, there's something happening in this situation, the situation may not be about you and you may actually be experiencing it or may be happening around you, but do not take it on as your own personal, this is about you or this is against you or this is happening to you. Um, and not taking things personally, you'll find that you can shed a lot, a lot of angst and find a lot of different peace when understanding that if it doesn't apply and not in a way where like it can't be true about you, but if this is not informed enough to say anything about you, it's not about you. And like let the things 
that you want to have true about yourself, be true about you and work on those things and the things that you want to work on or improve, challenge yourself. Challenge yourself to really figure out where that stuff comes from. Identify it and 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 work at it because this stuff isn't going to disappear overnight and it's not going to disappear over the course of 30 years. This is a day by day making sure and gradual investment and becoming a better being and becoming a better being looks like, damn, I've been through some fuck shit and sometimes the world is a, pu- is a fuck place. How do I continue not to allow that harm continue to harm other people? So just, if anything more, take the shit with a grain of salt and understand it's a day by day process, but you're worth the outcome if you decide to invest in that opportunity. So I really do appreciate you all and your listening and our uh, gabbing and, and bantering and spaciness as we as we try to figure this out. Um, yeah, Android, how you feeling? <clears throat> Sleepy as hell. Not <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> bitch! I'm so tired. I woke up at six thirty this morning without an alarm. I was like, "What type of bullshit?" Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> if I have any advice to our listeners, it would be to check your ego at the door mm. because your ego. That nigga there will get you Baby, in trouble. Baby, she will get you in trouble and she will hold you back from your blessings like nobody's business. That nigga and, and it keeps you from learning those valuable lessons. Mm-hmm. And it, it piggybacking off what you said, like sometimes it's not about you, girl. Mm-hmm. It's really not. Sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with you. Even when they say it does, sometimes it really don't. And it's hard to accept that and it can be really difficult to be able to recognize that too um but leave your ego at the door it, it's so important yeah that nigga get you in trouble yeah and for trying to be somewhere it ain't supposed to be exactly for trying to be somewhere it got no business being <laughs> exactly i would say don't be afraid to don't be afraid to actually look at self it's so important to do. And to me, that's the only way that you can have those full circle moments. Because I look... <laughs> if I look back at where we were a couple years ago. Baby, we were in the trenches. <laughs> and when we talk about parallels, I didn't like it. baby, I, didn't like I would it. be calling you crying one day. <laughs> and you'd be there for me. And then... Three days later, some similar shit would happen, and you'd be crying. I'd be like, I'm on my way, baby. Don't. It was just... <laughs> but. The fuckery that ensued, y'all. I never asked for. I don't. I still can tell you. I don't understand. But that's how we came up with this name of the show. I'm like, we ain't asked for none of this bullshit. Nah, Why was, is it happening? We were sitting on the couch, and I was like, this shit we never asked for. And we're like, that's the name of the podcast. Because <laughs> not real shit. I didn't ask for none of it. But without it, even in that temporary spot that it was in, it was necessary. Like, I would not have come into the happiness that I've come into without the, the the tribulation of really figuring out what I wanted that happiness to look like. And I, it couldn't be conventional anymore. It couldn't be what it was. This idea that like it was going to return to business as usual was not, it wasn't a thing for me. No. That, I had that, to elevate that, and choose different yeah. to be different. And, and it, it was a humbling process. Yeah. But that's what I go back to when I said, when I was saying earlier before you, the, before you verbalized it in a way that made sense to me and where you were coming from. It's why I say, what did I say? <laughs> Damn. I'm so tired. That, that's why I say, what did I say? Um, 
I lost my train of thought again. Oh, well. Y'all better get used to that, girl. Sometimes I get it back. Sometimes. But I don't think I'm going to get it back right now. I'll just say this. Looking at my... The last two years for me, I was... (laughs) Bitch, I do not want to cry. Oh, no. Oh, no. Let me go ahead and take my glasses off now. Oh. (laughs) Y'all, we had the Fifi's. Uh, And I'm going to let myself feel it. God damn it. (laughs) Enjoy the desire featuring the Fifi's. (laughs) I'm... I was struggling. Oh, shit. I was struggling so much to show up for myself. Mm Mm-hmm. I felt like nobody cared. I didn't think anybody loved me. I, like, it was, when I tell you I was at my lowest, then I, that that was all, what, 29, we're in what, 2022? <laughs> yeah, it's 20, 2020. Um, that was all in 2020. Correct. And then some of that shit spilt into the following year with all types of shit. <laughs> And I spent that whole year processing so much. And I, if I look at where I'm at now compared to that, I'm in the most beautiful and healthy relationship Mm -hmm. of my life. I have a clear understanding of what my purpose is, what I want to accomplish. I have clear boundaries that I have set for myself, I have figured out ways to maintain my sanity and my peace when my depression and my anxiety tried to creep her wrinkly old ass up on me. I can genuinely say that I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And you know that I haven't been able to say that for a very long time. Mm Damn, I didn't think I was going to cry in the first episode. This is some bullshit. I'm a G. <laughs> oh, as they put their glasses back on. Um, no, I feel that. I feel like give give yourself the grace and the space and the understanding that you, you're only going to know to deal with what you've encountered prior. And if you've never encountered this before, you're not going to know what to do. So trust yourself to build yourself through any of those processes, whatever they are. It could be a breakup, a new job, a new city, the loss of a loved one, whatever it is. And just, it was powerful. It was very powerful to go through the processes that we went through. Also, let's retire the saying, I gotta get my shit together. Mm-hmm. Let's retire that. I think that's a myth. <laughs> because to me, that goes back to perfection. Because you're never always going to have your shit together. You're not. I... What I like to say now is learn to maintain your shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I said there's a plan in place. <laughs> there's a plan in place. It could change. Mm-hmm. Learn to maintain it because shit is always shifting around. And bitch, you need to learn how to adapt and pivot when need be. Right. Give yourself the space and the grace to figure it out. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Y'all got this. Yeah. We love y'all. Thank y'all for being listening to our first episode. We did it, friend. Shit. And going off what we talking about, have we not went through 
learned all the lessons we did and did all the self-work, bitch, we probably wouldn't be doing this motherfucking podcast. Mm-hmm. There's levels to the shit, y'all. It's deep. And now y'all go be deep by yourselves. Go go, go take a bubble bath or something. Think about your life. Ooh, that sounds nice. Yo. Bitch, I'm about to do that. Get out of my house so I can go to bed. Uh, <laughs> we, going to, we going to bed. I'm tired. Good Shit, night, I'm about y'all. to wash my ass. Have a good one. We'll be back next week. Until then, take a nap. All right. Mm-hmm. Eat your vegetables. Eat your greens, your leafy greens. Mm-hmm. Have the good sex. Ooh, I had some of that on my dick. You know what? Let me go. (laughs) And the happy memories and the happy times. We'll see y'all next week. And that's a wrap, y'all. We appreciate y'all tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of Shit We Never Asked For. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Don't forget to comment, subscribe, and hit us with those five-star reviews, honey. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NeverAskPod for new updates, upcoming content, and future projects. You can also show all the love by joining our Patreon. Your support allows us to continue bringing you quality content. Hell, we made it even easier for y'all by dropping all the links at the bottom. It's all in the episode description. Go click it. Thank you. And with that, there's no more to be said. We're going to see y'all next week. Y'all know where to find us. Peace. (laughs) Bye, y'all. everybody welcome to the duke of gaming the first and last episode 42 i'm your host thomas the duke of anime and it's good to be here this week with my fellow dukes of gaming first and foremost we have the duke of design how are you ben oh you you picked me first you never picked me first <laughs> well, i was not prepared <laughs> oh man I'm cha- we're changing that you're first every time oh no god every single time in response there <laughs> Oh man, how are you? I'm doing. Bro? I'm doing great. Uh, very stoked for the release of the Witch Queen on Tuesday. Um, as Ooh. you guys know, it's my first my first release on that I worked on on Destiny. So I'm I'm super pumped. Uh, also pumped about some other games coming out this week. Can't wait to talk about them. Excellent. I'm happy for you, and I'm happy to play the Witch Queen. So it's gonna be a good week. And of course, we have the Duke of Nostalgia. How are you doing, Taylor? My tummy hurts. My tummy wummy hurts. Oh. I'm okay. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. All right, that's good. That's good. Tell us why your stomach. Yeah, hurts. dude. My stomach is hurting because I ate some bad cow tongue.
So, been there. You know, it's always the cow tongue, y'all. We've it's all been, we've all been there. Yeah. But yeah. Hey. Glad, glad you're here with us. Hope your stomach feels better. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. If I run away from the screen for a second, it's only because like I got my mail showed up, you know, you mm. know, so. <laughs> you know. And joining us also, and he just disappeared. <laughs> he refuses. Not me, In a not poop today. of smoke like a friggin' ninja. <laughs> He's back. Now, joining us, we have a Duke who doesn't have a stomach ache, but a little bit of a headache. We have the Duke of Rocket League. Doing well, it's uh, it's eye strain from playing 10 hours of Horizon in two days. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Excuses. We're get yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is – we are in the center of the best two weeks of gaming this year with the releases of Horizon and what else do we have? Oh, Cyberpunk this week. And then looking forward to Witch Queen and Elden Ring. And then so, Triangle I mean, Strategy, of course. So uh, this may be the best week of gaming because we have the hype of next week and we're enjoying the past week. And also, shout out to Matt because he is always here, ready to rock and roll. Shouts out, Matt. Matt. Thanks, yeah. Matt. Shouts out, Matt. If we had the little DJ sound booth, we do the little, you know, <laughs> <"Doo, doo, doo." laughs> <laughs> And I want to introduce you, Alfredo, but you, when's Triangle Strategy come out? Uh, right the week right after Elden Ring, God, I believe. God, yeah, God, we're in the eye of a hurricane. God, that, and of course, that is Alfredo, the Duke yeah. of Education. Hello, it's me. I'm very stressed because week after week, I have to spend sixty dollars, and I'm I'm gonna be crying when I when I read my bank statement. But you know, in some cases, seventy dollars. Yeah. So, yeah. Are, are there any games under seventy? Horizon on PS4. Horizon, right. yeah, but I got the cheat code for Horizon by getting the PS4 version, mm, then upgrade the to for free. Buy yeah. games yes, at Walmart; they're ten dollars cheaper at Walmart all the time because they buy. I, them. I have right. to support games. He's absolutely right. Okay, they give you a five dollar. Do coupon. you? They give you a five dollar coupon. So, all right. I, I, how, I, who I else is Alfredo going to pump up the stock price if he doesn't support GameStop? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I gotta support physical media, and GameStop is the only one who is doing it. So, gotta gotta support them. Yeah, buy NFT from GameStop too. They're giving those away too. Just let me know when it's available. I'm ready. Soon, soon. Now, of course, we have to start our show with the age old gamer question. What have we been playing this week? Now there's a there's a lot that we've been playing in conjunction. But I kind of want to get to some stuff that we've been playing just before we get to the main stuff. Um, so I'll start just real quick. Cole said I should play this game. I put it off. I was like, let me get my paycheck. I feel better. I got my paycheck and I purchased Walkabout Mini Golf. Yes. And oh my God. Cole, was I not is- was I not kidding? Like you now there's <laughs> how surprised I, I, were you that this so game is so good. there is a show that I don't think comes on anymore, but it came on while I was like in a really good time in my life. And it's called, um, ooh, the name of the show is, um, oh, it's like it's like a mini golf show. A mini and it was, golf show? What? Yeah, and it was starring Steph Curry. Steph Curry was like the main. He was like, <laughs> what is this? What's the oh man, of this show. <laughs> oh man, it's gonna blow me what the name of the show is. But he was, um, he was like the main. He wasn't like the MC, but he was like the main like mascot of the show. And it would be these people doing mini golf on these crazy courses. 
Hmm. And so I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. And then this game comes along and kind of is that. I'm like, oh, man. So, yeah, I put about maybe 20, 30 minutes into it. Couldn't really put much more time into it. But what I played, I'm like, okay, this is going to be something I play at minimum once a week. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, I have two questions. One, is this better than Wii Sports Golf? And two, is this game basically like, like, have you guys ever been to indoor mini golf where they literally have like little gimmicks? Oh, you got to put the the ball over like five different logs and then get in like, this rocket launcher or whatever is it like that there's no there's some stuff some courses like that but for the most part it's 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 really putt putt like the first yeah. few, few levels are like literally you're at like a pirate themed putt putt course okay like you're at a tourist trap it's called tourist yeah trap. Sweet. um but what makes it so good is the physics are perfect like you literally feel like you are it, the vibration when you hit the ball feels top notch and like the frame rate, the way everything runs, the audio, like it's so immersive. It's kind of like rec room, uh, not rec room, I'm oh, sorry, cool. alt space because mm -hmm. of how you communicate and you talk. Did you build your avatar and everything too? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it is really intuitive. And like you said, the rumble, it's the best I've felt in a quest game so far. Yeah. It, the, and the way the ball comes off the putter, which I'm not mm -hmm. a golf player at all, but it feels exactly how you would expect it to feel. If you were playing putt-putt, you feel like, like it's so subtle. It's so subtle. Like, it's not like this Wii game where you let go and the it kind of sucks it to the hole, you know? Yeah. It's legit. Like, you can, you miss putts and they lip out and everything. And hmm. it's great. It is. I can't believe it's, how good it is. It's excellent. And the show I was thinking of, Holy Moly. And the That's what main it's called? and yes, it's called Holy Moly. And the main person that hosted it was Rob Riggle. And if anybody knows Rob Riggle, he's hilarious. <laughs> he he's always he's always in like those Will Ferrell movies. Was he, was the, he was he in the Wiggles? The Wiggles? Yeah, yeah. never heard. Is that a you show? never heard of the Wiggles? Oh, you've heard of Holy Moly? Yeah, good yes. good point. Good point. Holy Moly. The Wiggles. Yes, I never, I never heard of this. Nick, Nick Junior, classic, The Wiggles. How dare you? Uh, Come on. I think I do remember that. I remember that show being <laughs> trash, but that's I mean, a, it's that's a, a conversation. It's a baby show. <laughs> yeah, that's a kind of, that's like out of the box. I don't know if y'all remember. Yeah, that. I remember out of the box. That was it's great. Junior out of the box, like it's the baby version of that. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, that's that's the other game. Was there any other games that we've been playing besides our core three games we want to talk about? Going once, nope. going twice, and we are on to our first game, which is Destiny Two. Now, who's been playing Destiny Two here? I'm Just always playing Destiny Two. <laughs> and I, I've been playing Destiny Two. I think I put like one hour in this week because it's just been a busy week. So we got to give credit mm -hmm. to Ben because he turned us back onto this game. If it, but not for him, none of us would have been playing this game right now. And yep. I feel like we would be missing out because the game is so good. But yeah. we we definitely had to have that Sherpa. And no, I will sure. say the apprentice has become the master because now Thomas is now learning some bin tricks and he's teaching me some things every time I get on Destiny. Wait, yeah, I, thought, I, I showed you how to upgrade your weapon and everything. Yeah. And he was like, man, I feel like Ben. He was going around pointing me out where everything I think was. I did say. I think I did say that. I yeah, think yeah, it, yeah. After like an hour, I was like, hey, I feel like Ben right now. <laughs> you you got you to gotta walk the new lights through the experience. It's the best way to do it. Absolutely. I don't know. How it feels amazing. It feels amazing to actually know what's going on relatively. Story wise? 
or like game mechanics. Never, never story wise for me. I still don't know <laughs> what's going on. But game mechanic wise and how to like feel good in the game. Yeah. How to approach Just, like yeah. what to do and how to follow quest lines and stuff, which is is uh is quite tough if you're new. Mm-hmm. But uh Ben, you want to tell the story of what we did? What me and you oh, and Fredo did? Well, we, we jumped into another dungeon. Uh, it was funny because... Um, My first dungeon. Yeah, dungeons are um, higher level uh, content in Destiny 2. So, tell them um, how long it took, Ben, for oh my God. first dungeon. <laughs> you thought it would be a good idea for a three-hour dungeon. <laughs> yeah, we, it, it took us almost three hours to get through this Jeez. dungeon. Two hours and 45 minutes, which Alfredo, is a lot longer... Than it should it have taken. It could have been worse, Alfred. It could have been hey. that Sea of Thieves. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't That's even want to know how many hours we spent on that time of Sea of Thieves. I had a lot of fun. It was very comparable. It was very comparable. But I will say the dungeon, this was more fun because, like, I don't know. It was just incredible. The game mechanics like, worked. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we almost gave up and we pushed yes, through. We did. Like one time, and then we pushed through again, and we got on that last time. And I, I, I don't know how many times we had like all of us were dead except one, and then yeah. we revived, then the other one revived all of us, and at my, least my, like five times. <laughs> but my worst thing, like on our run where we beat the where we beat the boss, my microphone went out fifteen minutes from yeah. the end. So I was yep. like pacing around the room, standing up, playing, popping it in, and like during little breaks, trying to fix my mic and everything. It's pretty important. And, and to have communication that is very communication yeah. is very important in this in this type of content in raids and dungeons. So like having your mic go out 15 minutes from the end when when we're already getting so close to dying well, from the boss and it's like past midnight. So so we all said like okay, this is our last chance. One more boss. time. Yeah, we're going to one more time. And it's taken us we had to go through like four or five damage phases cuz we just could not get damage on the boss for the first couple. Um so yeah, it was it was it was Quite past midnight out. before yeah. Ben's time. For me and Alfredo, it was after two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Oh my god, it, we were we were playing this game. Oh god. Oh I will god. say though, I was pleasantly surprised because I'm somebody who doesn't play FPSs except for Overwatch. That's the only one I'll do. Anything else, I won't really play. So I was a little bit hesitant about getting into Destiny just because I've tried to before and it just has such a, I'd say, convoluted starting process, like a steep learning curve just to figure out where to go and all of that. But having been there was invaluable because he can pretty much guide us there. But in the actual dungeon, I was pleasantly surprised uh, at how complex the dungeon was like it's not just oh you you're shooting just just headshot headshot quick scope like it's not about just doing that every encounter is kind of like a puzzle which is kind of fun to it like there's it's not it's not like Laura Croft puzzling or like something like the witness puzzle but it's more like oh you have to stand here specifically in order for this to happen while killing these certain enemies and then this will trigger a chain reaction which means you have to figure out how to do things efficiently and smartly without dying like it it's a really smart shooter which i feel like is really underrated at least i've never seen them in the stereotypical games like call of duty and quake all of those things um but yeah it it's it was super fun, even though it took three hours. <laughs> and it gives that communicative communication element to it, where we all have to be on the same page. And if you're not all on the same page, you're just you're just straight up not going to beat it. You know, the same thing, same same way for the raid too. And the raid, it's even harder. I feel like because there's six people that got to be in conjunction. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, when like, you drop off comms, me and Ben were still able to communicate and be like, okay, Cole's got me. <laughs> He's here. Or like, Cole, can you get us? No answer. But between us, and we were already at the end of the content, so it was fine. We figured it out. But yeah, it was honestly so much more fun than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Just because I'm still scarred about that Sea of Thieves uh, dungeon we did. <laughs> oh my oh, god. god. It was that was fun too. That was fun in a different way. It was fun. It was yeah. but but it was also kind of frustrating. This one wasn't frustrating. It was more like everything yeah. was our fault instead of us trying to fight the <laughs> well, game. And the combat is good. When you're playing Sea of Thieves, like the combat is terrible. Mm-hmm. And you just not have it's more monotonous and you're just ready, oh, when's this gonna end? When's this gonna end? We were, I was enjoying the challenge, but for it being two o'clock in the morning, but anyway. And we've added a new Duke to our Destiny's clan. We have clans coming in. Coming in next week. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. Jinx. Right in time for the Witch Queen. (laughs) Right. And that is going to be a challenge. (laughs) that's, That's truly when this like gaming hurricane is going to really ramp up. Witch Queen drops, and then we're three days away from Elden Ring. <laughs> I want to I give a quick shout out. We're thanking this Ben, but I want to thank a different Ben. Um, ben from uh, the, the coffee shop I used to work at. You gave me Destiny for Christmas. I'm sorry I never opened it. You know, you're welcome for all the free coffee I gave you. Uh, but now I'm finally playing Destiny. So, hey, you know. Did he give you a you sixty dollar copy? He gave me a sixty dollar. It was brand new. It was it was the week Destiny wow. came out. He was in love with Destiny. He would come in every day talking about it. And the Christmas after Destiny came out, he he bought it for me. And I don't know how much it was, but it was it was brand new in box, wrapped and sealed. And I never ever played it. Oh, so. And I, I I literally just remembered his name was Ben too. So it was I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you had to have another ben be your guardian <laughs> had to have exactly. another ben bring me <laughs> yeah. in so thanks thanks ben's all ben's, all ben's. thank you <laughs> any closing thoughts on destiny y'all destiny um, destiny not add over <laughs> not an ad i'm sure we'll have more thoughts next week no it, it's great though like just to leave it on that like destiny is great yeah everybody gives it a lot of crap but i think feel like a lot of people do because it's so good and there's a, a very hardcore fan base you know and i feel like they they're hard on it but it's one of the most special experiences in gaming from what i played of the single player which is only forsaken so far it's the single player is also really fun too yeah. I played it just com- without any friends, but you can play it co-op because I don't R. have R. any. So, R.I.P. Cade, R.I.P. Cade. Now we are going to trade guardians for street kids, nomads, and corpos because some of us have been playing the re-released or updated Cyberpunk 2077. Who here has played Cyberpunk 2077 this week? I have. So Sounds two of us. Need. This is your first time playing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's my I'll, first time. Yeah, let, let, let's let you lead. Then I'll kind of like go off of you since I this is my returning to Night City. After after hearing about and seeing the state that Cyberpunk was in, I decided to wait, even though I was hotly anticipating this game. I mean, I, I was really, really looking forward to it. Um, But I was not going to 
have my first experience of the game be um less than it could be i guess um so i i waited for the next gen version and i said when the next gen version comes out i'll play it but when it when it and now when the announcement happened i was like oh man it's so crowded i'm not gonna, i'm definitely not gonna be able to beat it before the, this other stuff comes out but i couldn't help myself i was like it's, <laughs> it's there it's there sitting on my console this is the ps5 version you bought it yeah exactly uh I, I had already purchased it so i was like okay i'm, I'm gonna ju- jump in it was funny because I was, I was kind of fooling myself i was like all right i'll make a i'll make a character i'm not gonna like spend much time on the creation screen i just want to like get in there and see how it is and then i'll put it down and i'll make a new character later when i come back to it in a couple months but i i no no <laughs> i was like okay I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep playing um first of all i, I will say that this game <laughs> this game still feels like it's in a it's in a just launched state. I mean, I, I, it is not fundamentally broken the way that it was, but I had a soft lock within the first 20 minutes of the game where I had to restart um, because the game just totally froze. And then I had a hard crash within an hour of that. Um, I haven't had any, yeah, haven't had any other crashes since then, but I've had plenty of other, glitches like you know uh companions running into lockers and and throwing shit around that's not supposed to be thrown around and um all sorts of nonsense it's still very buggy but uh there's a lot to like about this game yeah there there's a lot to like about this game and i have really been wanting and really been longing for an experience akin to um fall the fallout games like you know a first person role-playing game in an open world environment where i'm like oh what's that that's interesting let's go do that you know oh this caught my eye on the way let me go do that you know this kind of this thing where i'm like immersed in a world and i'm just getting lost in it and i'm having a great time doing it and this game definitely has that despite its flaws um, there's not as much role playing here as I would have liked. I think it's very much like The Witcher in that way, where you're playing a defined character, but Geralt is a lot more interesting than V is, and and it it uh, Geralt justifies that a lot more than V does. Um, so I do feel like that is a weakness of the game that I'm experiencing right now. However, I didn't get Keanu Reeves until last night. He just showed up, um, so I'm hoping that injects a little bit more personality into the experience what do you think about the atmosphere and the style because to me the atmosphere was the best i'd ever experienced it is good but it is not it's good but thinking about the media that it stands up against like blade runner and well, ghost let's, in the shell well let's say if you compare it to video games though just what we're used to as far as like yeah any other games that are that have atmosphere i feel like it not much competes with it game wise yeah, and and it is, and it is a lot better because of the enhancements. Like Night City feels more alive. Um, the visuals, you know, being able to have much better render distance and and visual presentation helps with that. Like helps sell what was already there a good bit more. Um, it is it is a good atmosphere. And and what is so what's really impressive to me is like the just absolute density of the city. How much stuff is stacked on top of on top of other stuff and and how much is interactive 
um, really, yeah, really dense, really dense in a good way. It's the best open world ever. Best open world ever. Uh, well, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm five hours in, so I can hardly judge the open world. I mean, I've really only been on the linear right, yeah. quest so far. I think I think I'm better able to answer whether it's the best open world ever. I would say no, because Wait, what, do you, what do you put just for frame of reference? What do you put as the best open world ever? I think that Hyrule from Breath of the Wild has a really good case to be considered the best open world ever. Um, I know you just—I know you disagree, Alfredo, <laughs> but just in terms of like how you discover that world, it's so organic in Breath of the Wild, where it's like you are legit discovering the world as you're finding these shrines and finding these towers. I thought that that was so like different than any other like way to discover a world. Um, but cyberpunk just as a constructed built like environment of story of all the storytelling that you can do in that world i think it's second to none i think it's the best bethesda game ever you know i think that because it, it really does have that like skyrim fallout structure to it but it has enough of the things that i love from the witcher 3 that i think it's kind of fits in the middle of those well, I, don't, I can't say it's better as a game than Skyrim or Witcher 3, but I think it's kind of built in the same mold of both of those games. Does that hmm. make sense? I know it's a little confusing, but it, I, I think that it's built very similar to a Bethesda game. Like, I think the marketing really did this game an injustice because it's basically a Bethesda game to me. Because it promised too much? Yeah. Like, I oh, remember... Yeah. I remember previews where they were talking about, oh, you can go into any building. You can... And I'm like, no, you can't. No, you can't. You can go into some buildings, but you can't go into every building. You can't talk to every NPC. Yeah. Every NPC doesn't interact with you. But if you get, like going back to it from when I played it when it first came out, it made me appreciate it a lot more. Because now with the game, like for example, the one thing that I that really took me out of it was the driving. The driving in the original release was terrible. Like it was like it felt bad driving these nice looking cars. Like these cars felt lifeless, weightless almost. Like besides Rumble, there was no like weight to these cars. They felt lifeless. Like when like I'd get all these alerts all the time. Hey, you can unlock this car. I'm like, I don't care. Like all these cars are the same. They feel the same. They're the same car. It's just different style. Hmm. The updates changed all that. The driving to me is as good as GTA's now. Which I'm actually, oh, really? I'm shocked of how much they were able to change. I thought that was something that they could never really, I thought that's something you can't just patch in. I mean, it has been, what, over a year now, right? I mean, that's something I would expect for them to fix, as I well as did. many of the game-breaking bugs. I just I'm happy, third I'm happy it's here. You yeah. out there growing it. I want third person too. <laughs> that's the only thing that will make that's me all, play this game. Yeah, honestly. me too. But yeah. I, as somebody who has not played the game and is still, I will within the next couple of months, right after all of these crazy game releases come. But this game reminds me from what I've seen a lot of uh, another game called Deus Ex. Uh, what first, first mankind, mankind divided. I think it had like the new trilogy. You mean this? You mean the sec? You mean the second one? Yes. Uh, Human Revolution. Yes. was the 2011 release and uh mankind divided was the 2015 release thank you this game reminds me both of of both of those games in terms of 
what I would expect out of it. But from the marketing, it seemed to promise more. So I was expecting something along those lines, even though it's coming from CD Projekt Red and, you know, they have to follow up The Witcher. So my question, I guess, is as the game as it is now with these next gen upgrades, is it is it better than that game or is it like along the same lines? Because that game didn't necessarily stand out to me. But it was still a fun. It it did what it was striving to do pretty well. What well, you, what do you mean? Complaints. What do you mean? Because it's they're completely different games. Yeah, like I'd say setting wise, they are very similar. Mm-hmm. But even in setting, they're different vibe. Like, they're both cyberpunk, but Day of Sex is a lot different. This well, this is, the game, vibe is completely different. Like yeah, this, this game like, seems more edgy. Whereas it that seems one is more, more playfully edgy. Like. Mm-hmm. Pl- where I don't know, like I don't know how much anime you watch off real, but it like Deus Ex reminds me more of like a psychopath. Okay. Where it's like serious okay. cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. Like this is not serious. Like they're dildos all around the place. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, they didn't like, that. Not, like, <laughs> yeah. And they I think they patched that out because I remember when first playing it, there were like an obscene amount of dildos in this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. I think I yes, remember there that are. That's the good part. Is that them trying to be like Grand Theft Auto somehow, some weird way? Yeah, that's that's my thing. Like Cyberpunk feels like Cyberpunk GTA. You know what I'm saying? Deus Ex is takes itself very seriously, which I think is for well, the better. It, for that. It, it's not. It's not just that too. I mean, I, I've sung the praises of the Deus Ex games on on this podcast before. Yeah, I yeah. love those games. Those games are um, immersive sims in in the style of um, Thief and right. Uh, what's another good one? Dishonored, you know. Yeah. If, if you want to pull, this game is not. This game is an, an open world. This game is much more akin to The Witcher Three. It basically <laughs> is The Witcher Three, just in a different setting, and not third person. Like it's, interesting. Okay. The, the quest structure is the same. The open world structure is the same. It's just a different setting. So if you like The Witcher Three, I think you'd like this game. Okay. Yeah, the only difference I think Ben pointed out is Gerald is his own character, and V is more of an open, open character. Like, there is a crafted narrative for it, but I think it's way more underwritten than Gerald. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably based on the fact that Gerald has like actual literature behind him. Like, CD Projekt Red didn't create Gerald; like, they adapted him from books. The the while they difficult- created V. The difficult thing for me is that Geralt had a when you're speaking through Geralt's mouth, like when you're when you're choosing your dialogue selection, essentially, or choosing what Geralt's going to do. It all exists within a choice space that makes sense for the existing character. So right. the fact that it's limited is justified by the fact that you are you are playing an existing character with with motives and and uh, you know an identity. Um, they, I mean, they could have done that for V. They could have established V's identity stronger in in what what V will do, what V will not do. But they decided not to do that. They decided to make it more like the Fallout games, where you you kind of it's carte blanche, more like. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't work for me because you still have the limited menu of stuff to pick. You still you're still you still are boxed into the same number of dialogue selections that you would have had for Geralt. I mean, like yeah. it's for the majority of the dialogue in the game it's like one option that advances the text and a bunch that just expand on what was already set so it's like dig in deeper or move ahead and there's not enough um so there's not enough like 
at least in the first five hours again for me. There's not enough, okay, I'm going to um, create this V. I'm going to role play. I'm going to um, make my, set my mark on the character versus like the character is defined. It, it exists in this uncomfortable middle space. Um, so what you're asking landing. for is basically like the Paragon system in Mass Effect, kind of, where not just to, you know, Renegade or Paragon, like good versus bad, but more of like in-betweens grades, like you wanted a more extensive branching dialogue path. I, I, like I'm saying, like I'm saying, it's it's either or. So we either need a more defined V, and and Shepard's a good example actually, because Shepard was a brand new character with no with no book baggage the way that Geralt has. Right. She, but Shepard, he or she was was defined by the role that you know, Shepard encompassed, right? So like you can't, there's, there's so many things that are precluded by, by Shepard being the commander of the Normandy. It, mm -hmm. Shep, that means Shepard can't be tons of different things that are possible in the Mass Effect universe. That's not the case with V. Okay, that's v, v is like a criminal in, in the underworld of Night City. So like the, the menu of options sh should be so much greater than it actually is. And um, that because, kinda, because the yeah. identity is just not defined. That's yeah, fair. and that, okay. that kind of goes into my chief criticism of the game when it first launched, and that's expectations just weren't met. Because that was one of the things they presented that was going to be a thing where you choose this life path, and this life path determines how V is going to respond to different characters. And that basically turned into, oh, you get one more option in the dialogue box that only this life path would say. But it doesn't really matter. You know, and that was just something that they, you know, I, I call it the No Man's Sky effect, where you promise all these things. Like, oh, yeah, there's multiplayer. You can see other characters. Like, no, you can't. You know, it's like, and that's one of the things where it's like, they said we'd probably be able to do that, and it just didn't turn out to be that way. And so, you know. I, I think that this update has sparked new life into it. I don't think it will save Cyberpunk. But I do think that, because I think we, we said, like, was this a good time to release this? Because it is coming in the eye of the storm. Like, it, we already had a stacked February leading into March. And now yeah. they just threw this game out there. Like, do we think that was a smart decision? No. Mm -hmm. I think it was. I think it was too. Because from what what I'm gathering of you guys playing this game, you're saying, okay, it's not, it's still not the greatest thing in the world. It's better, but it's not the greatest thing in the world. And I think they probably knew that and were comparing it to, okay, we got Horizon, we got Elden Ring. These are going to be S tier games coming up. And then we have all of these other games coming out. How do we put, put this out? this highly anticipated next gen game without people saying we yeah that's true we failed yeah. again. it's like matt said in the chat he was like it's going to shield it from other, other criticism because there's so yep. much else going on exactly. so they're kind of sliding under the radar yet if they had been extremely confident then they could have hyped it up as being hey april whatever we're well, going to release it 
there's only so much they could have added though. Like that's I wanted to kind of temper expectations as to what this was going to be because there was no way they were ever going to get Cyberpunk to the state in which they promised in those previews and promised in their like, you know, Nintendo Direct style events. Like there's no way they were ever going to get it to that point. But they've got it to a point where I like this is what it should have launched as. Like, I should have always been able to look into the mirror and change my appearance. Mm. I should have always been able to go and buy multiple apartments. Like, this should have all... The driving should have always been good. Like, this stuff should have already been in the game. Now it is, and I appreciate that. But I do think there's, like, a... They didn't want to overhype this as, like, oh, this is Cyberpunk Mm 2.0. Yeah, as somebody who's jumping in fresh now i will say for the question of like whether or not this can save cyberpunk it has made the game playable for me i'm enjoying it right it's it looks good it runs well i'm playing it on the 60 frames per second performance mode i have dipped into the ray tracing mode a little bit which does not have ray trace reflection which which stinks but i understand (laughs) that i mean like ray trace reflections in this game are incredible if you haven't seen the pc footage of of the ray tracing in this game yeah yeah you have to look at it because it is a sight to how'd behold how do you think of the ray tracing mode in this because i thought it was awful it does no it does it, it, i mean going from 60 to 30 is always a difficult transition but it does not appear to hold 30 on, on ray tracing mode um which for just ray trace shadows there's no way that's worth it i mean if they eventually add ray trace reflections in a future update I would consider it, but you're playing no. on PS5, right? I am. Okay. Yeah, I am playing on PS5. Um, yeah, as of right now, no, it's not the the fidelity mode doesn't seem worth it at all for me. Have, have uh, any have any of you tried uh, the Matrix Unreal Engine Five thing? Oh yeah. Yes. Yep. yep. How is that? Like oh, great. You remember our impressions of that? That was like my. I thought it was I don't the game was of the year 2021. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Taylor was there. Yeah, that was yeah. really good. You should try it. It out. was amazing. You get a chance. Like it's it's actually really good. Gotcha. I, wow. I do think we should drift into kind of the questions that the chat is posing. Yeah, I was about is, to, I was asked about to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. Can Cyberpunk ever recover from their launch? Is that the one you were looking at? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's a that's a really good question. And I think what does recover mean? Because that I feel like that to answer the question, you gotta understand like what does recover mean for them? Because do I think they're going to recover like No Man's Sky recovered? No. But I think can, no can they I think the big thing to me is can they recover their brand, the CD CD project? Right. And I don't think they can until their next game comes out. And if The Witcher 4, whatever, and if that they nail it with that, then they're good. They're they've recovered. I, I agreed, I agreed with you guys because we we did talk about this question. A number of episodes back maybe you know almost a full year back at this point um i know i agreed with you with you guys at that point but playing the game now and again what i said earlier there's a lot to like about this game there's a lot to like about this game I, i'm sure that there are a lot of people like me who are jumping in for the first time and i'm sure that there are a lot of people like thomas who are coming back in and getting a much better experience this time Absolutely. and you think about you think about the timeline of updates that no man's sky has had and how long it took them to get to a point where they basically had everything that they had originally promised and launched. It was something mm-hmm. like two or three years until they added yeah. multiplayer. And now I would say that No Man's Sky is better considered than it would have been had everything been rosy. 
because of because of the fact that they have supported this thing with free updates year over year. Yeah. Now, to Thomas's point, there's no way that CD Projekt Red, the scale of that company and the scale of this game, can support year after year of free updates the way that No Man's Sky has, has been. I mean, No Man's Sky has basically put out like three expansions worth of content for free. Yeah. Over the past yeah. uh, six years, which is is totally nuts. However. We know that CD Projekt Red can put out really good expansions. They're not for free, but mm-hmm. they're really good. They're some of the best expansions that that have ever released for a yeah. single-player game, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I say you put in another year of free updates, like the ones that we have been getting on Cyberpunk, and then you put out two years of excellent expansions, and then you're only ever selling the Game of the Year edition after that? I mean... I think the sentiment turns around at that point. Like I said, again, there's a lot to like about this game. And so if they can just let that shine, then there, there, there's definitely, there's definitely a, a chance for this to, for this game to turn around for it, sure. I agree. I it's, agree. It, it's speaking from someone who has not played this game yet and is, is waiting. I will be playing in the next month or so, but from what I'm getting from you guys impressions is that this is a good game, but there's still a lot that it needs to uncover in order for it to be considered a great game. I, I also think it's, it's hard for us to compare this game specifically to no man's sky because, because with no man's sky, that was a company. I forgot what the company is called, hello, but hello games, hello games. Yeah. They hadn't put out anything before that like this was their first big triple a project and it failed and with cd product red we had the witcher and cyberpunk 2077 was the most hype game possibly ever to to ever even come to fruition and it tanked and with that comes no one's gonna no one might ever trust cd project red again until the witcher comes four comes out yep. and it's great so i, I, I think, think they too. took the fall even harder than hello games did and it seems like even with this big update and them specifically pushing it out at the time where they can fly under the radar, it doesn't really send that confidence that they even want to stick with this game and make it a No Man's Sky kind of uh, kind of big deal where we'll give it a couple, two, three years of good development. We're going to focus on this and then make I, it what you wanted it to be in the first place. Like, that's not the the confidence and, and, and the yeah, signal I, and I, I, disagree, I disagree a little bit though because i do think there's value in making the cyberpunk brand viable again because who's to say you don't want to release a sequel in the next decade no i think they will i think they'll write the ship yeah. on cyberpunk and they'll make it probably great but i still think there's been long-term damage to their brand because yeah. say they have witcher 3 which was an unbelievable game widely considered one of the best games of the last generation of all time then they they roll from that, and if they put out, if Cyberpunk twenty seven seven had released and it had been the hit we thought it was going to be, they're automatically right there. They're in the upper ash. They are with, in my in my book, Naughty Dog and Rockstar, where everything they release is phenomenal. With literally the game industry stops, and it is quadruple A release. You know, like that was that was the path they were on, but they they blew it, and I don't think that they can get that back. Unless I think they have to do a few things. I think they got to turn the ship around on this, release some amazing um, expansions, like Ben said. Then Witcher 4 has got to come out and it's got to kill it. And yeah. then, and only then, they will be considered like, holy shit, CD, Par- CD Project Red, like, you know, top, top. But ball. do you guys think that as far as expansions go for this game, Cyberpunk, 
do you think that people will be all gung ho to pick it up and like try the new cyberpunk game? Yeah, I think I they do. can. I think I they do. can do that. I do. I do think they can do that. That's if the game continually gets better, like they continually make it a better experience. So by the time those expansions do come out, we're playing a game that's not crashing that much. We're playing a game that's adding more little things. I think and that it can. Their long term goals on this, and I think that they've talked about this before was to add in online. I don't mm. and I don't know that they'll ever do it now, but <laughs> they need to yeah, they, I hope they, they, they did, I, yeah. I hope they, they slow their horses that. on that cuz there's But I mean, but it was they referred to it as a separate cyberpunk project that wasn't an, an online. So I I think they were classing that as a different game rather than a GTA online style thing. Mm. Yeah. But um yeah, that's interesting. I also there's there's this idea that's that is sort of coming to me where Look at the tail, the sales tail that that No Man's Sky has had. I'm, I'm not sure exactly why it has lasted so long because I mean the game still sells incredibly well. It still charts every once in a while when there's a when there's a um, a big expansion that comes out. Um, Probably because it's only like ten dollars. <laughs> well, no, it, it, uh, maybe well, it's it's like thirty. I'm, it's it's well it's now 30. it is. It, well, people it see all these though. updates and they're like, "Man, another No Man's Sky update." Yes. Okay, well, yes. then I, it's time to jump in and check this out. Yeah, well, yeah. They've had so a lot of this they've is, had a lot of opportunities my... too because they also um had like, "Okay, we're releasing on Xbox now." Oh, we're releasing on Switch now. You know, so they've had opportunities to kind of brand it differently too. I think that they yeah, and VR, VR as well. Yeah. So they've had but opportunities I, I don't think to it's, kind of relaunch it. I don't think it's just that. Okay. I think it is the massive, the initial massive marketing push that planted the seed in a bunch of people's head where if the game had been good on launch they would have picked it up because they saw the marketing they, they were like oh okay this is interesting maybe they're not as engaged of a gamer but they've got a friend who is and it's like oh yeah you show me the trailer for no man's sky that's dope how is it the friend's like ah it sucks then they talk to the friend three years later and the friend's like oh i'm playing no man's sky again what i thought it sucked no it's great now it's actually really great now that's going to be the narrative for cyberpunk. So I, I imagine that that cyberpunk is going to have a really long sales tail the way that No Man's Sky is, where people come kind of keep trickling in because they're like, wait, I thought cyberpunk was totally broken and shitty. Yeah, but it didn't stay that way. It's not that way anymore. If you buy it now, it's going to be better. That's going to give CD Projekt Red incentive to continue supporting it and to support it with, with expansions, which, which I think they need to. I, I really think that they should not let this sit as it is i mean i think they need to redeem the product before they move on to something else i need to play this game <laughs> I, I feel like i'm still kind of in the dark i don't i don't want to play the game for clarification's sake but i feel like to be more informed about what this game could be and its potential i need to play it so then yes. make me play it for a book club yeah well, hope, you, you yep. made a good point no man's sky they kept hitting with those updates and then they, they kept breaking people down. And eventually, with those updates kept coming, they, they eventually gave in. And, and also, um, so what I was kind of pointing out before was that, so I, I mentioned how Cyberpunk was $10, but right now it's $30. So what actually, what's pretty common, and they did this a lot for No Man's Sky too. So remember how that game tanked like real bad? No, everyone thought it sucked. So the game went down to like $5. It was always on sale. And then once the new update came out, oh, automatically it's bumped back up to $60 because this is this patch fixed everything. So they reprice it on Steam, locally, in GameStop, everywhere, basically, which... 
is kind of a crazy concept. So it could be that we might see Cyberpunk go well, back up to $60 when I it is thought, actually quote-unquote finished. I also thought the reason why I was going so down in price was because I don't remember it going down in price on digital storefronts. I remember it going down in price in like for the actual disc, <laughs> and I felt like that was because people were returning it. Like they were get like the stores were getting all these copies back that weren't even opened. And hey, at least it wasn't taken off of a digital marketplace. Right. It was, yeah, it wasn't even on PlayStation for a while. That's right. You make a point. So I, I don't know if it was they they made the price five dollars or ten dollars. I think it was the stores just charging that because they got they got to get rid of these games. Mm. They have like an end. They're Fine not demand. getting new shipments of games. They're literally trying to resell these games that have been returned. I don't know. It's a lot of uh, moving parts with that. Mm-hmm. But I think it can make a recovery for lack of a better word i don't think it's going to be a no man's sky recovery i feel like that was that was a once in a lifetime thing yeah i think that that was an amazing that's an amazing story from a studio that really stuck with that game because they kind of had to stick with that game Mm -hmm. i don't know what the future games that hello games are coming out with i don't but it's it's not it's not a once in a lifetime game (laughs) right because it because there are Final Fantasy did it. Fi- well, yeah. 14. Okay, so Final Fantasy pro- probably that's a good wrote, example. Final Fantasy fourteen probably wrote the book on this. They did. Yeah. However, also Rainbow Six Siege. Yep. And yep. also to a different extent because it wasn't broken, but Fortnite. Nobody mm. gave a shit about Fortnite when yep. it first came out, but after mm-hmm. a rebrand and continuous support of the game, it's now the biggest thing on earth. Right, so it's not. It's this is not. You know, No Man's Sky is not a one and done type situation. But plenty the, of games uh, are saved like this. That's fair. But what I but yeah. what I mean is from a single player perspective, because all those other games you mentioned are multiplayer games. I think when you have a multiplayer game, it's a little different. When it's just a single player experience, like most times, like you're going to get patches, but it's kind of going to be what it is. You know, I, I, that 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 to me is what I mean why No Man's Sky was such a unique thing because it's really not a multiplayer game. It's kind of just like an explore, exploration single-player game for the most part, as far as I know. Well, yeah, right that, now, that makes sense, but now it's a multiplayer game, yeah, actually. It is. Right, right. But when it was making its recovery, mm-hmm. it was, you know, still a single-player game. That's what I mean by you don't really see single-player games change to that extent. That's why I, I think, think No Man's Sky is a little unique. But I, but I would have to suspect that's, be, that's because you don't typically see single player games supported to the degree that a multiplayer game is supported. Yeah. Right. Because a multiplayer game is continue is is expected to continue to live on as the community continues to play it, it gets more attention. And they can but also th- there's nothing there's nothing that like stops CD Project Red from giving it more attention. And I think they need to. Yeah. yeah but but it, it is it is unique though that they did that because it doesn't even though it has happened before, it doesn't happen often. And I remember so many people thought Anthem like this was gonna be Anthem story. Oh, oh it's gonna be another Hello Games. They're oh, gonna they're gonna that. turn this whole thing around. Why did you have to bring that it. game up, <laughs> right. Cole? Oh my god! I forgot all about. I remember. I I was so hyped for that game. Like I was. That I game seemed like a dream come true. I'm One like of the best bio- E3 live uh, demonstrations ever. Like so. so I, like I'm Tony Stark, and this is Bioware. What? And then it it wasn't. It nope. just wasn't. Man, I totally forgot about that game. That game is gonna, that game. I, I think like they dropped support of that game completely. So, yeah, it's definitely not gonna be an anthem case scenario. They definitely, I feel like this update has at least given it life. But it's up to them 
to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it's far from a finished product. And yeah, we have to see what happens with these expansions. And I, I want to point out the funniest comment I saw in here <laughs> that is from Game Catharsis. There is no such thing as an obscene amount of dildos. That's true. <laughs> I agree. Teach his own. Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Sarah. And you should listen to What's New? Nancy Drew. Come get a clue. Boop, boop, doo. What's New Nancy Drew is a weekly podcast where we recap the latest episode of the CW show, Nancy Drew. Yeah, so put your sleuthing brain on and join us for a good time. <laughs> so, you know a game doesn't have any dildos, as far as I know. Yeah. Horizon Forbidden West. As far as I know. It's rated teen, so I don't think we'll see any. You didn't get we'll that see. DLC uh, nah. launch edition no, I, code? I won't, get, I won't get that DLC. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think three of us have been playing Horizon. Does that sound right? So me, yeah, I think so. me, Cole, Alfredo. You know, I think Cole's put the most time into it. Cole, you start. How are you loving this game? Yeah. Well, what are our hours count? I'm about in about eight-ish hours in, I believe. Where Four. are you, Alfredo? I mean, there's. Well, no I'm level. Maybe levels will help. I'm on level ten quest, but I'm level fourteen. Did you finish that quest, Death's Door? Uh, I think it's what it's called. I can't remember. I think that's the one I'm on. I keep getting distracted by the side quest. <laughs> I know. Yeah, um, I'm not even. I'm not even in the west yet. I'm oh, I'm not out. either. I don't think. At ten Where? hours in, zero west. Oh. Zero West? Zero yeah, West. surprisingly. Is it, it's zero guys, West it, right now. It, yeah, it's, it's in the title. The West is forbidden. You can't go there in the game. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. What were you thinking? Exactly. <laughs> True. So, yeah, I'm, I'm like four hours in, and I've been playing, and we lost them again. I, I've i been playing all of the, um, the side quests that I can. So I'm probably going to be a little farther out, but with, when it comes to open world games I enjoy, I'm doing all the side quests. So yeah. But- so, so they they made every single complaint I had with the original game. They've made it better. Um, they've added way more towns. There's are there's more t- towns and settlements in the first two hours of this game, the three hours of this game, than there was in the entire first Horizon. Nice. And mm-hmm. if they you were- remember right, like we had Breath of the Wild where you could climb everything, and Horizon where you could not climb anything. You could climb nothing in that first game. It was like this weird, awkward platform where you're sliding down rocks and jumping around. I haven't played it lately, so maybe, Alfredo, you just replayed through it. I finished uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, the first one, a day before this one came out. Because that's how I like to play these games where Last of Us 2 comes out. I'm finishing The Last of Us 1 right the day before and then rolling right into the second one. So so you make him speak to to a point I'm about to make. Um, (laughs) So and and I wanted a glider just like Breath of the Wild. We got it. Hell yeah! Which is a little little underwhelming, but it's okay. Um, then we got uh, what was another uh, the the melee melee combat is better, mm-hmm. and I wanted better melee combat. Um, but the so the climbing you can pretty much climb. It's very Assassin's Creed. You can pretty much climb anything that you that you think you would be able to climb you, you can can't climb, climb most things you can climb most things if you think you could climb it you can probably climb it yeah i mean it's, it's pretty it's pretty awesome like but that. what's good is that they actually have a mechanic that you can scan the area and it shows you what you can actually climb as yeah. opposed to you just trying to jump on something and it's not climbable just and you had no idea 
Yeah, and it's very it's shocking actually. Uh, most of the time you use it, you can I see tons of stuff I can climb, which I would never have thought I could climb in, in that game. Um, yeah, truth be told, I like this climbing more than even Uncharted's climbing, and I put yeah. Uncharted's climbing at the pinnacle of climbing games. What? I don't... <laughs> yeah. In what world does Uncharted? It's got the worst climbing. It's so uncharted. It's invested. You sit you sit there, you scratch your tummy, you're like, click X, X, X. It's come on. This game's more like a What's the best climbing than Hole? What's the best climbing? Uh I Breath of the Wild. Oh god, no. No. Here's the thing. I I I get what you're saying from gameplay wise. There's a lot of different like with that stamina meter, there's a lot of different gameplay opportunities there. Like I I do understand that. But I just have a lot more fun climbing in this game. Like, okay. It just feels yeah, better. The, how the dual sense feels in my hand when she when she hits a rock, and the dual sense just the conversation about that with this game could be a a podcast in of itself. Wait, wait, wait! I do I do have to counter the Breath of the Wild thing. Why <laughs> should I be able to climb anything in the world? Anything. Like, no, that's yes. not how real life works. You can't yes, just climb you, anything. Yes, you a, can. A yes, you can. Yes, you can, Alfredo. Yes, you can. Oh, you're telling me I can go up to this apartment wall and just start yes. climbing it like I'm spider yeah, no. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Alfredo, I have a, qu- I have a question. What? Are, you Link? Are you Link? Uh, I got the shield in the hat, so maybe. If you were Link, you could climb anything. Okay, whatever. Anyway, let's get back to Horizon. It's, stu- it's stupid that you can climb anything. There, I said it. Anyway. But I like this climbing better than even Breath of the Wild's climbing because there is a layer of you have to think about it. Like, it's not just, oh, climb straight yeah. and you're up the mountain. It's like there mm-hmm. are puzzles that you kind of have to figure out to get to places. So it's almost like a happy medium in between Horizon Zero Dawn's just, you know, average climbing and Breath of the Wild's climb anything. I think it's a good medium in between those two things. And a lot of the times they actually have branching climbing paths. So there's not just one way to climb to this one place, like Thomas is saying, but like you can climb all the way around and gain a strategic advantage, uh, like high up against all of the enemies. Like you can plan your attack uh, that way, which is really nice. Yeah. So, okay, the graphics are unbelievable, too. Best graphics I've ever seen in the game. Okay, ever. well, that ever. begs the question. The most important question, gentlemen, we're going to be asked by anyone, is does Ally look like butt? Alloy? Oh, Alloy. Yeah. Aloy. Aloy. Put some respect Thomas, on her name. Well, oh me and God. Thomas were hating on her on our stream. We were talking about how big her face looked, remember? God. It was it was no, it wasn't her face, it was her cheeks. Yeah, it looks like, honestly, she looks the same, guys. I just played the first one and she does look the same. She always looks that way. You just you know what? My, getting pissed. My friend, my friend came over and she was watching me play and she said something that I was like, okay. She's like, Nick, she has your same face. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just looked at her, I was like, no, she doesn't. And I, I was looking at her, I was like, oh, God damn it. Got my side. <laughs> she has the fat cheeks and everything. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> she does. It's like I, motion captured for her. Like I, I, I only play games with attractive main characters. That's why I only play Metal Gear Solid. It's the uh, only dude. game I play. Fair point. Fair, fair point. That's fair point. Especially two. Especially two. <laughs> especially two. No, especially four. Especially four. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, so president's pretty hot. 
the scope of this game though when you get to a peak it's bigger than breath of the wild it feels bigger and more grand than breath so of the wild. what what mm-hmm. modes are y'all what? playing on normal um oh With I, the performance? performance performance yeah i've switched because like the resolution mode i wouldn't say it looks oh gap better but it looks better like i can't every, tell the difference i can't either, i can honestly. tell i can tell slightly because performance mode when you're moving is a little blurry like a little blurry like when you're standing still there's no difference but when you're moving around there is a little and well, i just with, saw the, com- the comment in the chat <laughs> Yeah, this is, this is a total aside, but I, I feel like we have to address it. Yeah, <laughs> we got. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill Ocelot. I'm gonna marry Snake. Yeah, that's and mine. I'll copulate with Raiden. Yeah, I, think, I think everyone's got to marry Snake. I don't know. Yeah. Does oh, yeah, this yeah. group is marrying Snake? I don't know who any of these people are because I never played. Oh, uh, that's right. You never played <laughs> Metal Gear. Nothing. I feel like ninety percent of the gaming community would have went with what Taylor just said. I'm copulating Snake. I'm sorry. I'm I mean, you, gonna... you can do that when you're married. You. <laughs> You yeah. can, but I, I mean, one time's good enough for me. And I'll be, Who's going to copulate Ocelot, marry Rodden, and kill yeah. Snake? Well, I mean. Snake Snake feels like a cuddler. He's going to spoon you. He's going to spoon you. That's what I feel. That was a great guy. I think Raiden, I think canonically, though, Raiden was the only one who ever got married. That's true. Is the Raiden the cool one? I don't know anything about that. Raiden's <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. The cool robot, right? He said yeah, revenge. He's cyborg, yeah. Everybody said, play Revengeance as soon as you can. Play Revengeance. A most underrated Metal Gear game. <laughs> it's <laughs> said man that are <laughs> marriage is unlimited copulation. <laughs> that's that's the whole point. <laughs> that that's, <laughs> that's the best thing about it. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> All right, back back to right. Anyway, yeah, this game so, that is innocent. Okay, as so, far as we know, there could be dildos. We so here's my, I'm gonna mm-hmm. finish my thought. So, so the uh, the game's unbelievable, and for the first like five hours, I was thinking game of the year. So hyped on it, but I, I think I may be reaching a little bit of fatigue, like burnout. But I I played it so much in the past two days that I think that's. That's kind of wearing on me. See, every, that's every what I was afraid. That's what yeah. I've been afraid of with it. Where yeah. I think I'm going to play this game a little slower paced. Like I'm still going to beat it within probably the next week or so, but I'm not going to marathon it. I, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah, because I'm starting to become. So here's. So I'm kind of. Whereas I was thinking it was so new and different and amazing, I'm starting to fall into the side of the camp where this is more Horizon and. I, Mm-hmm. No, that's a good thing. We, we, we lost your audio. Like the graphics are great, the combat unbelievable, but it just still. I'm kind of starting to get a little bit down at the thought that, oh man, this is just it is more Horizon. Whether yeah. it's bad or not, but yeah, this is what I wanted though. Like I, I was anticipating it's going to be more Horizon, and that's exactly what it, it's like. The opposite of Cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. How it's like, how is the um. How was the main narrative? Because that was one of the things that was most surprising to me about Zero Dawn was how good that that was. Yeah, me too. Double, that was, that was shocking, game. shockingly good. Double is sci-fi. Like there's okay. a lot more sci-fi. It, it's awesome. It, it for, lives up for to good the first or for, is, for is ill. There? Is yeah. there Thomas? Where are you? Wait, where are you? No, there is. I don't think y'all have gotten to this big key moment yet. I, I feel I'm like... saying what what I'm experiencing, and also what I've heard in reviews. Like it, it seems like they are going way more in the sci-fi. They are, they are for sure. I think y'all are right on the, like you're right there at about to get a big story moment. 
from what I'm experiencing so far, it's it is a lot of sci-fi because I just so I just played the first one, and that one is actually really really sci-fi heavy, like more than I even remember it being. It's but it's it, very it ends little, up, it uh, ends up there, but it doesn't start there, right? Mm-hmm. It it has it integrated throughout the whole time, actually. So it, I it hints I kinda, at it, and then and then it opens up after you reach like one of those vaults in the first one. Yeah, it's it's surprising how much sci-fi is in the first one, to be honest. And with this one, the first thing I noticed was actually how much more they're doing with the tribes as opposed to the first one. Because with the first one, they didn't really touch story-wise on the many, many different tribes and their inter, like the politics of the different tribes. This one, they're going all in into the politics of all of these different factions in the Forbidden West, in... Uh, all of these different regions and how how Aloy can help them in their politicking or whatever you want to call it. So yeah. there's a lot of that. But there is also the sci-fi aspect. And honestly, I would put it 50-50 at where I am right now because I, I actually had to take a step back and I was like, okay, this is this is very politics wise yeah and i don't I, know I mean, final fantasy perfect. 12 like even though final fantasy 12 was like so politic politic based but but it does switch so where i'm at right now i want to do nothing but mainline the story because it's it gets you're right there i think you're on the mission where it starts getting really good i mean don't get me wrong it is re- it is really good the side missions as well as the main story i the i think the main story does a really good job at keeping you strung along to the next thing but at the same time it's kind of it kind of feels like this great grandiose fetch quest where it's like okay we got to do this oh the location move we've got to go here now oh you can't go here yet because you have to do this so it's it's a lot of oh do this then this then this as opposed to it feeling more urgent like this isn't so far what i've experienced this isn't like a last of us story where i'm super super invested in the character of aloy herself super invested about everything about what's going on in the world it feels much more like a playground to me to be honest because i am doing all of the side quests because the side quests are actually really really good i would put it up there honestly with the witcher side quest where like i definitely feel like whenever i come to one that i need to do the side quest because it's so fun because this side story is so interesting it's not just a fetch quest like they have a mini storyline to it and it's really enjoyable you, and you get rewarded with different skill points or weapons or whatever it may be like the side quests feel to me <laughs> more like, fun than yeah, you, the main yeah. quest yeah. right now yeah. because you, it's these yeah, you mentioned stories. this you mentioned it, like The Witcher Three. I feel is the big, like the best comparison to this game, because mm-hmm. I felt like with the first one, you could see that Witcher Three is a much more expansive RPG than the first one. This one, it seems closer to The Witcher Three in terms of everything you can do. I still think The Witcher Three probably has it beat in the amount of side quests, but as far as like what I've heard and what I've seen so far, like I do remember a point in the witcher 3 where it's like oh there's just a shit ton of things to do now yeah yeah this one seems like it's getting there though and i'm like i was not expecting it to be that expansive Mm -hmm. and so i'm actually like amazed and the fact that it looks as good as it does at all times 
Like where you can just take a random picture at any point in the like I'm I the pause right here. I just pause it at a random point, and it looks like a screensaver. Like it, it I just pause the game at a random point. And it just looks incredible, and I'm like, that's just in it's impressive. Like it, you good? I was gonna say to your point of looking incredible, like walk around the towns, they're bustling and like the tavern is just full of people and full of activity. Tavern is so cool. God, it's yeah. it's awesome. It's awesome. Also, they the one gen. thing the one thing they changed from the first one that I appreciate. I don't know if y'all how much Mass Effect everybody's played, but when you get into dialogue trees and Mass Effect, it literally is just the characters, the one or two characters standing and just talking to each other, and there's not like they're just moving their mouths, essentially. Like that's always been a core of a lot of these like RPGs, especially these Western RPGs. It was like that on Horizon One, the first Horizon, Horizon yeah. One. It looked horrible to me. Yeah. Like, it, that was a bad offender. Of that they did away just, with it. It's gone. They don't do that it, anymore. Every scene, like my friend's watching, and she's like, "Oh, what are you watching on Netflix?" I'm like, "Oh, this is not Netflix. Like, this is a <laughs> video game. Like every and like the attention to detail with every single interaction. Like this game feels expensive as hell." Yeah. The faces look mm-hmm. so realistic. Some of like, like I was mm-hmm. talking to like the guy, the cook in the um tavern. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, man, this looks like I love real, him. It was a real guy. It's crazy. Yeah, every yeah. character, even like the characters you wouldn't expect to get that kind of treatment. Yeah, they yeah. all look the part. Like nobody seems like, oh, the budget didn't go to. Like I don't know if y'all, I play a lot of Spider Man. Like there's this little running joke. Like there's this like digitized pigeon that flies next to Spider Man. Oh, and, and, and Spider Man's like, oh, the budget didn't care about you, little pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> and that's in all these open world games where it's like the things that matter the most like look the best and then everything else kind of looks whatever For, this is the first open world game where everything just looks a one yeah for the dialogue um can you guys tell if these scenes are motion captured or if they are hand animated or if they are dynamically generated i think they're, i think it's a mix of hand animated and dynamically generated because okay. So you can when, you can tell when it's like lip yeah, flap kind yeah. of my, 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 yeah. my, my, my. because yeah. when I think motion capture I think like Last of Us two yeah and and you can tell it's motion capture I don't know if there yeah. is there much motion capture I think there, a lot of the motion capture comes in for the main story yeah. but not for the side quest yeah. but that being said it's still very very good and I, step above I, yeah. it's very I should good. clarify though because because there's clearly a lot of motion capture going on in just basic dialogue interactions and zero dawn but motion capture refers to like the whole body what i mean is facial capture where they're where where it's based on like a performance and they're getting the performer's face uh you know face data so that they can animate off of that for a specific conversation usually usually in a game like this you're not going to do that when you have a when you have a regular conversation with a regular npc it's going to be dynamically generated you'll have some motion capture animations to cycle through so they'll be like yeah um my wife said something about this and then he'll like wave his hand like that'll be a motion captured uh animation that is available from a selectable list of stuff that the designer can do when they're creating the the dialogue but the face is like oh i'm i'm in surprised mode now because the de- designer selected surprised mode for the for the yeah. line and then it transitions to stern mode after <laughs> yeah. i realize what is that yeah. they you know definitely but, don't but, do but that the, they don't the, do the lips are like 
the lips are reading phonemes from the wave file that is recorded by the actor. So the actor's just in a booth and it looks like this. They've just got a microphone in front of them. So there's no there's no facial capture whatsoever. So you're not getting any of, of what the act the the actor's actual performance is versus in the cutscene when they're like they got the full suit on and they're in the studio and like the cameras are on them and all that kind of stuff where it is their mm -hmm. face, you know, and the animators are anima animating off of their face. So I'm wondering how much like did Gorilla really go the extra mile and they made all of their little interactions hand animated or facial capture no, or, I, I or is there is there dynamic stuff just really really good now that you said that i think that i think the face stuff might be all be motion capture i mean it definitely looks good to the point where it looks motion capture but i think there is a little bit of you know maybe they do have an extensive list because i've caught it a few times where aloy in some of these side quests is like looking in a different direction instead of like the person when she really shouldn't be so but it's it's very very slight and very minimal to the point where i'm like well everything else is so good about this animation that i don't really care about that little detail so yeah, yeah. a little bit one, a, a little bit b yeah one thing i thought was interesting i watched the digital foundry video and they said that this game might be the roadmap to how Sony releases like this these games that are also coming out on PS4 because they they equate the PS4 version. I played like a maybe tiny bit of it. I watched the first scene in it. They equated it to like a PC running at low settings, and they hmm. equate the PS5 to it running at high settings. And they're saying that it probably means that this game is already going to be ready for PC sooner rather than later that's what D digital foundry's like analysis of it is and i thought that was interesting because i remember one conversation we've been having is whether these cross-gen games are holding the ps5 back graphically and they're basically saying no gameplay wise obviously there are things that you know a ps5 exclusive game probably would be able to do but graphically it seems that they've like reached their peak that's what Digital Foundry basically said. Like this mm -hmm. game, and it, I and just looking at it, this is the most incredible game I've ever seen. Me too. It looks great. I, I do want to touch on uh, just the overall setting of this game and what I expected because I played the first one so I could compare it to the second one. And it's kind of exactly what you guys said. I feel like I'm playing DLC for Horizon. Everything about this game is better. The gameplay is better. The bows are better. The uh, abilities that you can, the skill trees, the way that you can now customize your armor and your weapons, like that is far beyond what I actually expected. This how how about her movement? How is, is her movement better? Her movement is pretty much the same, honestly. She feels the same to me. She doesn't feel more responsive. That it, It's 60 frames, but also the patch for PS4, which is what I was playing, was also 60 frames. So Aloy feels pretty much the same to me as she did that's I and I think that's why it feels so much like DLC because we're getting these not minimal improvements but it feels like it's not let's say you know this God of War remake I feel like this game is the same way I'm gonna end up feeling about God of War Ragnarok where yeah it's more God of War Ragnarok yeah it's more Horizon but it's not the, the first one set such a high bar that it's hard for me to see, oh my God, this is amazing. It, it's a great game and I'm loving every inch of it. But 
it does feel like I'm playing DLC with better mechanics of the first one. This feels like from Uncharted 3 to Uncharted 4 for me, where the leap is substantial. Yeah. Like, it's a very substantial leap. Like, if you cut on that game, for uh, if you cut on the original game, and then you cut on this game, there it's a world's difference in terms of how they look. And I think, I think like, for movement-wise, I more side with Cole just based on the dual sense. Like, every step she takes, you feel on that controller. Every time, every bow string you pull and release, you feel it on that controller. So even though movement wise, like it's similar to the first game, I think the dual sense like integration is up there with some of my. I, I think this is my second favorite behind Astro's Playroom. For me, the dual sense is, uh, it's not. As great as I thought it would be. For me, it's completely missable. Like, if I were to play this on PS4 without the DualSense, I probably wouldn't notice that much, honestly, because how they have done it, I, I guess they hyped up the DualSense integration with the bow. You'll feel every inch of it. I was expecting the DualSense integration to feel more like how Returnal did, where Returnal really made you feel like, yeah, this is something really incredibly special that only the PS5 DualSense could do. But it feels like with this one, with Horizon, as far as DualSense goes, for me, where, yeah, I feel the little pitter-patter. I feel a little bit of tension, but it's nothing groundbreaking. It feels like I can do without these features, as opposed to it being actually something that is making this so much better. But that's just me. Yeah, I feel like the dual sense for me it just it disappears into the background and you don't really miss it until you don't have it. You mm. know, because it, it, you're so immersed, I feel like you don't even really notice it when you're playing. But I, I think it is really good. I'm more side with Thomas on that. Um now I I watched several spoiler free reviews of this all week because I was pretty hyped. And several of them said that once you get past like the 10 hour mark, which is about where I'm at, the game really like they it, it really opens up and it's and it feels like a sequel. They say that the first 10 hours or so feels mm -hmm. like you're playing the same game mm -hmm. and then it opens up and it feels like a sequel. I don't think I'm quite there yet. And this is just pure speculation. I I don't think I'm in the Forbidden West yet. I know Ben was saying that we're Yeah, I think to get we're there. at the same place, Cole. It but doesn't maybe, like maybe we'll end the game in the no, Forbidden no, West. No, no, I, I think that about the 10 hour mark, I think something happens, you cross like a threshold and like then you're in the Forbidden West. Um, but boy, am I gonna be disappointed? If, if <laughs> nope, just the same I'm thing. banking on that Forbidden West coming in and making this game phenomenal. Um, you know, I think I'm being a little hard on it though. The game is incredible. It's so fun to it's fun to play. So pretty to look at. It's like it's addicting. I mean, it's this is like video games at the pinnacle. I think the game um, is very good. I, I'm being critical on it but i do want to say this is a really big step up one of the best things about this game is how they handle upgrading your weapons and how substantial it feels um because that basically you you are crafting you are getting parts from specific machines in order to upgrade certain 
bows or whatever equipment that you want to make like crafting is really really essential to the second game whereas the first one you were more okay just craft some more arrows you can't really upgrade bows or anything but you can buy better ones instead as opposed to having an actual upgrade process for them and this one gives you that upgrade process it gives you a reason okay hunt that specific machine to give you this specific part so that you can upgrade this or make this specific weapon Mm -hmm. and it really does feel so rewarding like when i upgraded one of my starter bows that i'm still using right now now having a maxed up upgrade it feels so good it feels like a monster hunter done like really really good yeah yeah it it really does and i can't understate how fun it is to take down these different machines first to scan them to see what different parts you can detach uh break off stuff like that stepping back a bit this second game really highlights looking at a a monster and seeing what different parts it composes of the first one did this a little bit where oh you got to shoot off this part you got to shoot off this part but this one like amps up that by 10 you basically scan the machine and you can go into this little hologram where it's basically like okay these are the different parts of the machines this is it's this this is this and with each part it tells you okay this is breakable with this specific move you this gives you this loot if you break it off if you keep it on then you get this like it gives you a whole analysis of the machine and what breaking those parts off will deactivate for the machine so that it's easier to fight or what moves break off basically so it really rewards you for studying the machine and getting to know its move set and its specific parts. And in order to beat it effortlessly, these are the parts you need to break off. And these are the parts that you can gain if you do these specific things successfully. So, it's nice. This, why, so why are we struggling with this? Like they have set the game up every possible way that I think uh, that they could have. And um, of the Annie, the story seems like it's going to be awesome again. But why are we struggling with the fact of it's just it feels more of the same? Like, I feel like I we shouldn't be like we're that. Only, but we're only I mean, the farthest is you and you're only 10 hours. It's a 30 hour game. Yeah. You know, I play plenty of games where the first 10 hours feel this is cool. And then like what defines the game is those remaining hours. So I think I've only heard in the reviews that the first 10 hours are a little much like horizon 1.5 and then after that point there's a certain point in the game that you're talking about where things get a little different and it opens up essentially could it be could it also be a bit of open world fatigue yeah (laughs) Yeah, definitely for me differentiating itself enough yeah that that's probably part of it see and and are we all talked about breath of the wild i don't think the reason it's so good is not because the open world design is amazing it's it's the sense of discovery it's not having the things all over the map and i'm so shocked that no other games took this from breath of the wild because that was the best part of that open world was the fact that there's not tons of icons you actually have to go to it and see it happening like i hate that when i'm riding through in horizon there's an exclamation point uh 200 meters this way i have to go over there and then the little the little thing plays out where someone's getting hurt and all this stuff's happening it would be so much cooler if that wasn't even there and i was just riding through and i see this happening no marker nothing it's just happening in the world you know like these Mm -hmm. markers all these markers flood in the screen i was kind of hoping that breath of the wild would get rid of this now i think elden ring 
has taken a clue from Breath of the Wild, and they're not going to have any. It's all going to be sense of discovery. You you make your own map, like Breath of the Wild. Remember, we marked we marked our own map. You put your own wow. markers down. Maybe yeah, that's why I hated it. <laughs> I need I need a checklist. I need things. I I you, like the way that Horizon you hated the innovation <laughs> because I mean yeah. that because the Breath of the Wild. If it's nothing else, can you at least admit, Alfredo, that it's innovative as hell? Like there is no game that's like that. <laughs> There's absolutely like no this, game that's built like. I like feel Breath like this needs to be a separate. Uh, you know how much <laughs> podcast how much, episode? How much I, I don't. I do not think Breath of the Wild is that innovative. I really don't. How much cooler would it be? Is if it, look you're in a town and they're like, hey, look to the long neck, head northeast from there, and there were signposts, like actual real signposts that marked your way, so you could actually follow a trail and look at the actual signposts. It'd be so much more immersive. I know that maybe a lot of people would hate it, but to me, like. Got to, you know, have confidence in the player a little bit. Yeah, no, I I think this game is built more like a Ubisoft world than a Breath of the Wild open world for sure. We'll we'll just have to see how Kirby does with its open world. That's really that's really (laughs) going to be the test. That's the one. Yeah, (laughs) I honestly can't wait. Is that March? Yep, that's March. Oh my gosh. It's part of the hurricane. It's part of the. the, We're in the we're in the eye of the hurricane, y'all. So, any final thoughts on this? game so far because i mean i i'm having a great time i'm too early to really gauge what exactly like the big differences are between the first one but right now it seems like just more horizon well, and that's what i wanted so i will say time. there's a very big story reveal that y'all are about to see Pretty i hate huge. silence so much just saying um but other than that <laughs> he's so annoying I, I love the characters i love the open world if you love open world games and you love the first one you should definitely get this one i'm sure all of us will have much more to say once we're once we finish the game so maybe we can do a spoiler cast and then really get down to the nitty-gritty of it because uh, it would be exciting to uh talk about the actual story more than you know it seems like a fetch quest but by now but hopefully we get those big story reveals so yeah and Good shouts game. out yep shouts out lance riddick for being in two or three of our games <laughs> getting that check Shout, shouts out shouts out now we have a mailbag coming in live cole take it away mailbag Mail. you send it to me alfredo i sure can okay Here's your mailbag Pro- professional tekken player tanakana can you pronounce that, Taylor? Do you Ten, know? Tenacana, Tenacana. I'm from Georgia. Tenacana. We have a hard time with this stuff. <laughs> Recently got fired from her esports team for claiming that men under five foot seven don't have human rights. <laughs> Do you agree? How tall are you? Is there an equivalent height limit for women? Please answer this without getting canceled. <laughs> oh no. Also, you this question was off. from Danny DeVito Lover59. <laughs> Wow. Please answer this question without getting canceled. Well, the only way to answer that one without getting canceled is to not answer at all, I think. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> I'm under 5'7". So Wait, is this real? Lightly. Did this really yeah, happen? Yeah, that's, that's real. 100% this, real. This is a real true story. True. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she was streaming Tekken, I think. Crazy. And she, you know, you know how Twitch streamers are. They're all, they're just making jokes. And she went, yeah, you know. Men under five seven don't have human rights, um, and I think it blew up a lot more than it needed to because, like, it's just a, it's just a joke, it's just a joke. No, the, most, the funniest part of this would be if her boyfriend was under five seven. 
<laughs> that would be pretty funny. Well, that, that would be. See, see, the part of me wonders. Part of me wonders because this is she's a Japanese player. Um, part of me wonders because the average height in Japan is five seven. Mm-hmm. Part of me wonders that like that the head of the esports team is like five six or something. He got real pissed off. He's like, ah, bah, I have human rights. I have human rights. Wait, what's what's the what's the average height in the U.S.? I'm curious. Uh, five, nine, five, nine. five nine. Oh, yeah. is it that tall? Wow. Yeah. I feel really bad now. Let's ask the chat. We've all had this conversation. Let's ask the chat who they think the tallest out of all of us are. That's a good question. That's a good question. Who do you think is the tallest, it's, chat? It's probably Can you guess? Ben. He's got those. He's got those Nordic genes. People are saying it's Ben, it's ben. and they're correct. It's Ben. It's ben so obvious. Ben's, Ben's like seven foot two. Yeah, he's yeah. like Larry Bird. But but <laughs> as as we mentioned before, as we mentioned before, I can still kick Ben's ass probably. So it's fine. Even the though Duke I'm a of martial player. arts. It's true, you are the Duke it's of true. martial arts. It's fact. <laughs> Called so him no Larry Bird. Oh my god, <laughs> that's great. That's the content we need. Larry, Larry Bird or Big Bird? I'm not a sure. Bit of both, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. <laughs> probably the same height, right? Yeah, yeah. Probably the same guy. We never saw them in the same place. That's true. Mm, yeah. That was a side job. That was a side gig. <laughs> NBA oh. wasn't enough for him. This is a crazy question. Yeah, this is a, this is a crazy question. Like I didn't even I didn't know this happened. I mean, I can't say I feel bad for her for getting fired. For saying I, I that. do, that's pretty, I know. Pretty I, disparaging. I feel pretty bad because it's just a joke. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah. it's a joke that just they took too seriously. Like, <laughs> let's let's be fair. There are streamers in the U.S. who have made much much worse jokes, looking at PewDiePie, and never got canceled. I think PewDiePie was living in the U.S. He may have been he may have been UK at that point, but like, come on, come on. I don't know. Don't I, talk, I hate all don't these talk about people's height, y'all. I hate when people <laughs> yeah. say something in jest and they they just get absolutely drilled over it. And like yeah. this girl's career is probably like ruined over this. Sucks. Well, she was a Tekken streamer, so it probably wasn't going great. But <laughs> now, if she said something like, <laughs> if she said something else, like I don't know, but this is this is just ridiculous. Yeah. Now, there's a part of the question we haven't answered. Is there an equivalent height <laughs> limit for women? We we kind of stayed I, I, by I, that I, part. I like that you gulped. You had you had a really big gulp right there. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there? <laughs> no comment. Yeah, is, is there? Is there? Over six two. What? Six two? Why six two? I want. Oprah. I, I want my. Like, I, I, I like so oh, shorter women. Did you say Oprah? Over, over. Oh, I thought you said oh, like Oprah. I'm like Oprah's, Oprah. Oprah's not Tama. like six, six two. You about to have a whole bunch of WNBA women at your door, like, right? What? Exactly. It's okay. No one will see him coming because no one watches the WNBA. Uh, oh. I watch the layup sometimes. Ooh. <laughs> All right, settle, settle down, kids. Settle down, kids. I like WNBA. I do, but <sighs> good for them. Start. Any other thoughts on this funny question? <laughs> you can hey, you can also write in to the Dukes of Gaming. And if you want your silly or a serious question answered, so just put that <laughs> oh, out there. Oh, game game cathartist actually says something I forgot about. The <laughs> most fucked up movie I've ever seen on Netflix is a movie called Tall Girl. 
Have any of y'all seen this movie? I know Tall Girl 2 is out because that's why it keeps appearing on Netflix now. (laughs) But no, Tall Girl 1, like, essentially is about this girl who's, like, she feels insecure about her being tall. She wants to find somebody that likes her. And this guy that likes her, she's, like, kind of just curving. Like, she's like, nah, like, I want somebody else. But it's like... Is he short? Is that why? He's shorter than her. Is he under 5'7"? Yeah, I don't think he's under five. So he's not five. She's like, I think she's like six three. She she's she's pretty tall. That's fine. I like I like my big mommy giantess to step on me. So me too. Huh? <laughs> what is it? The lady? What's the girl? Lady, lady Dimitrescu or whatever. Yeah, that's a that's how you need Dimitrescu. Dimitrescu. You know, it's oh. yeah. Uh, whether you're tall or you're short, you can be a fan of the Dukes of Gaming. You all have human rights here. You have human rights here. Join us in chat. Post <laughs> in the chat. We answer questions live. We do this every single Saturday. This has been the Dukes of Game podcast. Watch us on YouTube. Watch us live on Twitch. Listen to us on all your favorite podcast services around the whole globe. And we'll be coming at you next week with some fresh takes. <laughs> we... <laughs> all right, I, I don't know why Ben lost his rights, but, you know, it is what He's he did. He's too tall. He's too tall. <laughs> he so knows we're gonna, what he did. We're in the eye of the gaming hurricane. So we so come if you want to get your you want to get our your thoughts on you want to hear your thoughts on the best gaming news. Come here to the Dukes of Gaming. We'll see you next week. I bid thee farewell. Hey, Elden Ring. Oh. Elden Ring launch party. Yes. Be there. So Hell Thursday yeah. night. Thursday Hell night yeah. midnight. I'll, I'll be there to hate. Yep. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so we're Alfredo, maybe I don't know. Hey, I'm playing the game. I'm playing. Right, so I'll, I'll be there to hate. Everybody else will be loving it. So join us for that. And if that's all that needs to be said, I bid everybody farewell. Have a good one.